This week, Don Pazette from ITPro.TV will be joining us for our interview section. Uh, we're going to turn it into a topic discussion on uh, security for small businesses. Uh, a technical segment will be delivered by Moses Hernandez from Cisco slash SANS on FindingNode.js. In the security news this week, we've got uh, ICS SCADA penetration testing, OAuth nightmares, just who are the shadow brokers, uh, patches for the Linux pseudo vulnerability. Uh, one login has suffered a massive very devastating breach. Cisco and Netgear have some patches available for us. Uh, let's see. Jeff wants to talk about the Chipotle breach. Uh, Joff also had one login in his stories as well, as well as patriotic Russian hackers. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Brought to you by the SANS Institute, the most trusted source for computer security certification training and research. Visit SANS.org to explore their full curriculum and latest training offerings. Gain control of cyber risk with Tenable IO, the first vulnerability management platform built for today's elastic assets like cloud, containers, and web apps. Discover a fresh, asset-based approach that prioritizes vulnerabilities while seamlessly integrating into your environment. And improve ROI with the first elastic licensing approach based on assets, not IP addresses. Tenable IO delivers the data and context you need to secure your elastic attack surface. Start your free Tenable IO trial today by visiting Tenable.io. Onapsis is the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business-critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at onapsis.com. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to our host. He's never afraid to ask the question, no matter how much you think it'll make a stink. Paul Asadorian! Welcome, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. This is, in fact, episode 516. It is June 1st, 2017, and I am excited to be here, as always. I have a lot of things that I want to share that have happened recently. Uh, before I do any of that, uh, we've got a fantastic show in here to help us with that. Of course, it's Mr. Larry Pesce Yay! here in studio. Welcome, Larry. Thank you. Thank I, you. I need this keyboard. I just pay no uh, attention uh, to the keyboard. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Some interesting stuff, unless you know, life crazy life things happen to get in the way, but they hopefully shouldn't. Um, my understanding is that uh, I, I may actually be here pretty much on the show through the remainder of summer. Wow. Yeah. Like nice. in the studio every week. Nice. So you're not doing Sandsfire? Nope. Defcon. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I opted to not do Sandsfire for Defcon. And there may have been some Defcon cancellation for me, but we'll we'll see. You'll know some more in a couple of days and a couple of weeks. Very we'll interesting. I'll fill, I'll fill you in on that after the show. Remind me to fill you in on that after the show. All righty then. So. On the lines via Skype, Mr. Joff Thire is here with us. Joff, welcome. G'day, Paul. It's good to be here again. And on that Australian note... Um, Unlike Larry, I'm going to be teaching in Canberra, Australia, uh, in July. Ooh. So I will be taking a departure. 
from the U.S. and uh, enjoying a little bit of the homeland and teaching while I'm there. So well, it's good, be- Joff, because you speak Australian. So I mean, it's, uh, I you think know. I speak Australian. I don't know. When I get there, I think my fellow Australians uh, will probably say that I don't speak Australian anymore. But you know, that's the uh, penalty that you get for being international. So. Our special guest this evening is Don Pizzette from ITPro.TV. Don, welcome to the show. You're making the rounds on all the shows. It's wonderful to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think I, I just have to hit my secure digital life, and I'll, I'll have all the shows done. There you go. There you <laughs> nice. go. You'll be right up there with Doug White, who's the only other one that's done every show. Not even not, – they won't let me on SDL. I don't know why. Well, not that they won't let me. We just haven't done it yet. But <laughs> You need to do like uh, Saturday Night Live and give me a special smoking jacket. That's right. Know, the- <laughs> nice. I like that. It's an excuse for me to buy a smoking jacket. Uh, fellow cigar <laughs> like he, lover like, – Like you needed an excuse. Fellow cigar lover, Mr. Jeff Mann is here with us tonight as well, Jeff. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be back. Hey, I want to take a quick minute to get caught up on some shout-outs. I haven't been on for a while, and I didn't get a chance to do this last week. But shout-out to B-Sides Boston, where I spoke there whenever it was, a month and a half or so ago. Yeah, it's a nice fleece. My my wife actually was wearing it. She's like, this is really nice. You've got to print some scary yeah. weekly fleeces. I'm like, uh, and it's, it's, been it's cold, June, but so yeah. it's coming in yeah. handy. That's I good. Mean, it was warm today. And then after that, I went to B-Sides Nashville. Always a great B-Sides. I was there with Jack Daniel. We had Is that a, great a t-shirt time. or a t-shirt or a fleece? That's a t-shirt. A t-shirt, gotcha. And uh, my grandson came early, so I was able to crash B-Sides Charm, Baltimore, and I promised nice. I, would, I would give a shout-out to them. Met a bunch of new people there. Had a great time. I love that how Jeff's doing this is via the t-shirt. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Isn't this cool? And then I went to ThoughtCon and spoke there, nice. and I told uh, I told the story that I said I'd never tell on camera. So there was a couple hundred people that got to hear my NSA story. Nice. So that was kind of fun. They also gave me a hoodie, but I'm showing the T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then I, from there, I went on to NolaCon. Oh yeah, how was NolaCon? It was um, warm. What's his name? They're a very nice couple that runs NolaCon, or at least did when I went there. Yeah, and they, oh, and they have an awesome speaker dinner where they cook Cajun food yeah, from scratch for us. It's awesome. Very, very they nice. Also, people. the uh, badge for uh, Nolacom is a bottle opener. Which oh, I like it. I like came it. Came in handy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this weekend, I'm heading up to Chicago. I'm keynoting Hack for Kids up there, and we're going to learn how to use this thing, the Visionaire Wheel, which nice. is how you encrypt using a one time pad, which is the only truly secure form of secure communication in the world. I love it. I love it. You've you made the rounds, Jeff. It's fantastic. Um, uh, a couple of announcements. ITPro.tv's courses now include, and this has been updated recently, Computer Hacking Forensic Investigator V9, Kali Linux, CompTIA A plus 901, and Accelerated CompTIA Security Plus. Premium annual memberships include all video content as well as access to virtual labs and Q&A forums. You'd pay $85.70 a month or $857 per year, but we've got a special offer for our listeners and viewers. For a limited time, get 30% off a monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Now, Jeff, you talked about B-Sides. There is, in fact, a B-Sides Kampala, which I had a great pre-canned speech about that's not in the teleprompter. In any case, <laughs> B-Sides Kampala will be held in Uganda in October. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's the 14th and 15th of October. Uh, it is B-Sides Kampala.com. Their call for presentations 
ends on July 15th, 2017. You can submit through their website. They're looking for talks on a varying number of topics, including robotics. And I'm told there's bonus points if you bring in your own robot, which could be interested getting into Not that you can <laughs> that bring country. it back, but yeah, maybe. Well, well, bring it back might be. You'd, yeah. you'd have to check it, right? You definitely have to check it, yeah. yes. <laughs> I don't think they allow robots. At which, at which point your robot will get completely crushed. Yeah, so you got to check it so they can re- you got to check it so they can wreck it. <laughs> check it so they can wreck it. That's Chickety, right. check yourself hey, a, before you that wreck sounds yourself. Sounds like a t-shirt all you listeners out there. It does. It um, totally does. So, I'll try and uh segue into our topic. I just I wanted to make a, a quick announcement about the Security Weekly uh websites. We have securityweekly.com and wiki.securityweekly.com. They're both actually SSL now. Yay! Like both uh, all the time for the first time in history. Hey, like, welcome we got, to the 21st century. We got, well, we don't really store any uh data on there like we don't store listener data on there it's not yep. like we're doing e-commerce transactions right any of the forms you're submitting are searches in the wiki yeah I, and now uh two well, really three reasons so one it, it does have our accounts that we use to access the site sure. so those should have been protected with ssl for whatever protection that gives you right um also uh a lot of people were asking hey why doesn't ssl work on your your site like your security podcast I'm like okay they i get should, that no but the, the real driving factor is it helps your seo <laughs> So I was like, well, wow. that was just like the icing on the cake. I'm like, yep, <clears throat> bit the bullet. Uh, did that. We upgraded them. Uh, there's still some upgrading that needs to be done, uh, but a lot of the heavy lifting was done. We converted from Apache to Nginx, which was an experience in and of itself. If you want to hear more on that, send us some feedback. If people want to hear about it, I will I will talk about it, put together a segment. I'm still working on some, some further security configurations, which are, are very interesting. Uh, researching the configuration, it, Nginx is very finicky, as is JavaScript. And, as is Apache. Yeah, as is Apache. <laughs> you could say the same for yeah. Apache. Uh, it's just a finicky beast. Um, but it's very powerful. Uh, I really like uh, doing the Nginx thing. And, and it's almost like a little bit of coding you have to do in the, in the config, which is nice uh, for our particular setup. And you know, researching all of these options individually, implementing them in a, a development environment, pushing that out to production... Uh, I was having fun, but now we get to our topic that we're going to talk about today, about security for SMBs. Largely, if an SMB needs a website or WordPress or a MediaWiki instance, they're just they're going to go to the cloud and, and get whatever's available out there. And who knows what level of scrutiny or bells and whistles are being put on that particular website. Um, so, Donna, if you want to kind of segue into some of the challenges uh, that you see with uh, security for uh, small businesses or even the mid-market, as it were. Yeah, I mean, you really hit part of you hit the nail on the head because if you're a if you're a small business or a medium business, you're, you're not going to have a, a big dev team. You, you may not even have a single developer at all, and you definitely don't have a, a CISO and, and that kind of infrastructure in place. So when they need something like a website, you you know it, it's WordPress that powers something like forty percent of the internet these days, a huge right. amount, and WordPress is not a uh, not a well. I, I don't want to say that it's not secure. It's just that it's not developed with security in mind, and it's a huge target. So it's constantly being attacked. And for a small business, that that just it's a trade off they make. They say, "Here, I can get this nice package software for free. I can be up and running and, and have some shopping cart leveraged in on it." And 
then they end up being vulnerable to exploits. They end up being vulnerable to to all sorts of different things that can occur. Well, yeah, and the attack surface, Don, that, and like you said, the barrier to entry is really low. It's a lot of functionality, but that comes with the baggage of a really large attack surface. Mm-hmm. So there's the web server component, there's the PHP backend, there's WordPress itself, there's the plugins, and don't forget, there's also the themes uh, right. and things that can be abused with JavaScript and CSS right. uh, inside of the site. There's the authentication issues as well. Yep. And the the big the big ones that I see is <clears throat> that as far as any of the deployment of WordPress stuff, you know, WordPress has seen a, a decent amount of issues and they've got better at doing that. They have gotten better. But they have auto the, updates. But the themes well. and the plugins can be written by any Joe Schmo and have no mm-hmm. anything to do with any potential security testing and the for me the plugins and the themes are where the the issue really comes. MediaWiki has the same issue too. Yeah. They at least give you a warning and say this add-on is extension rather in, in MediaWiki. Right. They're like, this, this doesn't have security. This isn't, this isn't ours. Yet. We have no idea. Right. Right. And, and this would apply to Joomla or Drupal, mm-hmm. other platforms like that too. And, you know, the carousel plugin. Well, even inside a theme, a lot of them will include a carousel function to, to scroll pictures across. And those are always targeted and they're never updated. And, and that's a, a big challenge that we see. And, and it's just one of the many things that small businesses are confronted with that they've got to try and, and deal with that. Like they don't they didn't have the team to write the software in the first place. They definitely don't have the team to make sure that it's maintained. And so they're trusting cloud providers. And a lot of times that trust is a bit misplaced. Like, um, you know, for example, uh, DigitalOcean, right? I, I know I can go to DigitalOcean right now and I can deploy a WordPress server and they will deploy it according to standard best practices within minutes. But then the moment I get in there and start messing with it, it's no longer best practices, right? Now, I can make it as unsecure as I want. And if I don't know what I'm doing, that, that's going to happen, right? So that happens to the small businesses. And there's no support kind of a network for them. There, there's mm. no real mechanism that's in place. And, and when you go to these, go to a conference like RSA, right, it's packed full of vendors, and you look at the solutions, those solutions are not designed for small and medium businesses. They're, they're very yeah. expensive, or they have a high technical uh, barrier of entry, and they're kind of just left in the dark, right? Well, and, you know, their other option, and, you know, we've done this uh, not with much success, is to, to get some help. Uh, from a contractor to help you with your website, right? Like, I think there's a smaller businesses that are just like, yeah, I'm going to use whatever's out there. I think as their business grows, they kind of reach this like second tier where they're like, I don't have the expertise in house, or even if I do, they're busy with other things. They're probably doing some IT and some customer facing stuff. And so we need to go hire a consultant. Now, having been down this path, uh, I've, I'm, I'm less than impressed uh, with the consultants that do WordPress. And the problem is there's so many to choose from. There are some that are, are very helpful and really want your business, but uh, they kind of, it feels shady to me. Like they're just going to charge me a lot of money for doing something pretty simple. Um, and then you have to manage that consultant. And if you don't have the knowledge, you're even worse of a position. You know, I at least understand how some of WordPress works uh, and, and can review stuff. But I, I think that's not a good situation to be in for a small business. Are you are you familiar with the company Securi? Yes, I have heard of them. So they have a neat approach, I think, which is they just say, you know what, screw it. <laughs> WordPress is is going to have vulnerabilities. It's going to to get out of date on our customer site. So instead, they do a web application firewall. They say, look, just you're going to route all your traffic through us, and we'll filter the attacks in line before they even get to the server. It's a nice approach, and it's not terribly expensive, uh, and it it gives you that extra level, but 
if somebody manages to get through that and you've mm. got a, a non-updated server behind the scenes, then, then you've got problems there. And, and right. we're just talking cloud, right? What, what about all the on-premises stuff? You see oh, yeah. that a lot where many small businesses will run their own servers because they don't want to do a, a cloud bill that they just can't anticipate what the cost is going to be. And so now they're trying to maintain Linux servers or, or other infrastructure that they're just not properly maintaining and they end up worse off. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's, and it's not a small task to maintain even, you know, a handful of systems like we do here. I mean, that's part of how I stay up to date is I maintain all of our own systems. Sometimes not all that well. I'm not asking to hack our website. (laughs) Please do not hack our website. If you find something, please tell me, uh, and we'll bring you on the show and we can talk about it. It'll be fun. Um, but you know, it's not easy maintaining all of these systems, certainly. And there's a lot of dependent, well, not just the complexity, again, I'm up and running and salt configured, uh, and then secured as another piece, but the dependencies are just all over the map. You talked about the security service done. There's also WordFence. There's a lot of skill, even though they tout all these things as being easy. Like there's a lot of skill to understand. Well, when I put this security control in place, like this stuff breaks, and then why does it break? Yep. Sometimes right. it's you know an hour of in- or more of investigation. I mean, I did that on our own side. I'm like, oh, that plugin's deactivated. I'm like, so in dev, I'm going to you know, disable it. And then, oh, delete it. I'm going to delete it. And I deleted it, and our page didn't load. I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> well, then. that's kind of interesting. I'm like, now that I've got it in, uh, on a dev server, I'm like, okay. And it turns out just like one line of PHP that was referencing that uh, plugin that when it wasn't there basically causes the entire site to not, not to load. Yep. Uh, so uh, now I, I've been managing you know wordpress and other things for a lot i mean i was a systems administrator so i should know how to fix that stuff probably in less time than it took me but um uh, it, it, to have that skill and not everyone has that you know the skills and experience to right. to troubleshoot and, that and yeah, the, the sad part is is that i remember the decision to move to wordpress mm. was because there was so much more support available for it than yeah, and the functionality previous, and, and the, yeah. the, because of the previous platform well, was we're a movable type. type yeah Oh my God! You talk fortunately about, we never did Drupal or Joomla, but you talk about you know having the barrier to entry for doing some security stuff at WordPress, right? Drupal type there was the barrier was potentially insurmountable. Yeah, it was, well, it was awful, and then especially for someone in the small business community, and the problem you run into too is small businesses that have been in business for a while. Like we were on Movable Type when we moved to WordPress. I can't tell you the the challenges that we've had to overcome to maintain our site and make it continue to work when you've gone through those migrations of different versions of movable type and then moved it over to WordPress, like the, the redirect scripts, it's like, it was a coding project for me to get all of that stuff working. And I I think, I think it's all, I think we're without that many 404s now, (laughs) I think. And, you know, it's not, it's not all gloom and doom. You know, there, there is something that can be done there. The the challenge is that, there, there's so many software packages out there that present themselves as being free that, yep. hey, you know, WordPress is free, Drupal is free, Joomla is free. You can you can get these. And and there's these shopping cart systems that are only 20 bucks a month or, or we'll, we'll just yeah. charge you, you know, 3% on the credit card transaction. Everything else is is free. And small businesses jump on that. And, and they I think we need to do a better job ed- educating small and medium businesses and say, yeah. look, nothing is free and that there is this this kind of run cost that you need to be factoring in and you need to be having external auditors. You need to have your, your systems being examined by an independent third party and it is going to cost you money. And it might cost you a lot of money. You know, you might need to do a, uh, you know, a, an audit at 
$10,000 every quarter or something like that. And that's a huge amount of money. But if you're running a business, that isn't that much amount of money. If you look at your total revenues, you know, that that's a, an expense that they need to start taking into account. But you don't see that when you go to WordPress.org. You know, yeah. they don't say, hey, when you deploy our software, by the way, you yeah. need to be... You know, you doing to, all this but, but yeah, by the way, this requires care and feeding, just like a pet. Right. <laughs> it, well, it, the other thing, too, and I think people are in small business are probably attracted to Squarespace and Wix. Um, and I've had my experiences with those sites. And I think the, the cautionary thing is not so much a security issue. It's as you progress, you might want more functionality and control over your website. And that just doesn't exist on those platforms. And you're stuck with whatever they're providing. Yep. If you want to do something different, then you have to move. And the cost of moving, uh, as I've discovered, is, is quite high, right? And that that's, uh, you know, can continue to be a cost because you've had to move platforms. I hate moving platforms. Well, I'm, moving I'm glad platforms. We, we, yeah. we finally brought up the money issue because I think that's overarching money, 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 money. what the issue is here. Money. You know, all the vendors at RSA, they don't want to deal with the little guys because there's no money in it. They're always looking for the whales. And, um, uh, and you know, to be honest, if you're a small merchant or a small company, uh, I kind of understand their point of view that they want to go out and buy a product that they know works and that they know is relatively secure when they start to use it. Because more times than not, whoever's selling it to them has claimed that it's secure or passes whatever compliance standard. And, you know, we're not going to get through this conversation without bringing up PCI because no, a lot of no. these small companies that we're talking about are merchants yeah. mm. trying to do business. So, uh, you know, somewhere along, and I agree, I, I don't think the money thing is ever talked about sufficiently because, you know, you've got vendors that are selling solutions or ignoring you, and you've got companies that are not properly uh, educated on like what we've been talking about, sort of the the cost of doing business on the internet, the cost of doing business with the modern technology, and doing. Jeff, a, a, if I if I use PayPal or if I use Square, I'm I'm fine, right? I don't have to be PCI compliant. Totally, <laughs> you've shifted that blame to someone else. Oh wait, oh uh, wait, read the small print. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing too, and I think from a retail perspective, uh, and I think the story that that sparked this was something about. Um, uh, not leaving the companies behind, but also with respects to Windows XP and, and, and that kind of stuff. A lot of retailers I get very concerned about, especially when we talk about WannaCry and, and all the ransomware, is if your point of sale registers are ransomware, like you're in deep trouble. And I feel like they're kind of positioned right now in a bad spot for that because they're is very little that's being done, I think, in that Hey, look on the bright side. It, it might be what finally drives them to update their point of sale. Could be. Yeah. At the same time, you know the, the the ones that are actively seeking a solution, right? So you know, uh, all right, hey, maybe we've deployed McAfee antivirus on all of our machines. We we want something better, right? So they they go to to a conference and they go and they they do the demos and they they go somewhere like Silence, right? Um, I think Silence, they're I think they start their quotes at something like five hundred licenses, or maybe as low as a hundred, but it's not ten, that's for sure. So. The, the new cutting-edge stuff, it's like you guys said, they're looking for the whales. They're looking for those big enterprise and government contracts. So what the lower, you know, the smaller and medium businesses are left with is practically consumer-grade security, and it's just not at the level that they need. And so they're going to get things like ransomware. And 
are they even backing their data up? Are, are the backups? At, you, we've all heard this where somebody gets ransomware and their backups got encrypted as well, you know, because they kept it online. So just standard, simple practices that, uh, you know, to back Jeff up, if they followed the PCI compliance manual and <laughs> did all that, they'd be fine. But these companies aren't doing it. So it, it boils back down to, to education and investment. It, it, well, it's just where it, the, it, go ahead, Jeff. Well, to, to rebut what you said earlier, I mean, one of the reasons why a lot of small companies don't try to follow the standard is because they've had some vendor come in and say, use our product and you don't have to worry about P- being PCI compliant. We've got you covered. And uh, while I think in some ways that's legitimate, in a, in a lot of ways, I think that's almost criminal that 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 vendors are allowed to say that without properly – uh, educating their their buying public as to what the small print says, but you know that's a buyer buyer beware type of thing. But what if in using the retail and point of sale as an example, mm-hmm. what if it's essentially in the cloud, right? The application I'm using requires a web browser. Now, of course, there's issues if I lose internet, I can't process transactions. Maybe there's contingencies for that. Um, but how, how much does that help? Does that hurt? Does it just change the problem? It can help. You know, for example, if you're using something like Dropbox storage, right, and you get ransomware, if you paid the extra 40 bucks for file versioning, then you can roll back to a previous version and you just unencrypted your files, right? So that, that's nice. But systems like uh, Google Drive, they don't do file versioning by default, or at least I don't think they do. So you know, we don't have that way to roll back. So sometimes you have the features that protect you, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to pay a little extra to get it. Um, but the cloud's not perfect either, right? Wasn't it? It was two or three weeks ago that Google had the big uh, Google Doc with a macro exploit that uh, was going around, you know, and that's that's cloud software right there, and, and you can get compromised the same way. Jeff, you were well, saying? Well, and well, I was going to say you're, you're sort of mixing apples and oranges a little bit. I mean, there are point of sale systems that are served on web apps. And those web apps could be cloud-based, but even then, those solutions are relatively new, and small merchants are still faced with this issue of going out and having to rip out whatever they've been using and put in something new. And somebody's selling them the web-based, cloud-based solution. Somebody else is selling them, you know, a, a, an alternative form of payment like a Square, uh, you know, or it could be a Google Pay or an Apple Pay. I mean, they're you know they're being bombarded with all these solutions, and everybody's saying use use our stuff, and you don't have to worry about PCI. And what they're essentially saying is you don't have to worry about security. And time and time again, that's being proven to be wrong. Yeah, because there's still the security of the actual end station itself, right? I mean, it's. You still have the system. It's just the system's on someone else's computer and not right. your computer. Right. That doesn't absolve you from actually trying to secure your systems. Stuff can still get on there. Because technically it's your system. It's just somewhere else. Yeah. It potentially steal your credentials to your cloud-based point-of-sale system and do the exact same thing as if you had it locally, right? Well, I think the, the biggest misunderstanding is the, is what, what, what vendors sometimes say – uh, more explicitly and or less explicitly, and what uh, and what the retail merchants uh, want to hear is if you if you install X, you know, pick a product, uh, PCI goes away. Uh, what they're really saying is your your responsibility for the compliance and meeting the requirements 
largely goes away, we we cover that for you or we uh, alleviate you from having to do a lot of those things. What is not done in most cases is is removing the liability or the potential liability if there is a breach. That still squarely falls on the merchant, whoever they are. And that's that's probably the biggest misunderstanding of of the all the ads that are out there. Walk RSA, walk Black Hat, and you'll see companies saying, you know, we'll make your PCI pain go away. We'll take care of your PCI burden. And my attitude is if you view security as, as a burden and as a nuisance, you kind of already lost the battle. Right. But that goes back that goes back to education and awareness, which I think is the only thing that really starts to make a difference for for the small merchants. They gotta they gotta know that they gotta get into the security game. Yes, it's gonna be at a different level. Uh yes, they have limited budgets perhaps, but they've they've gotta do something and I think uh, the industry owes everybody to offer them something that they that, that is something that they can use. Yeah, and, and the reality is, even when things are going well, most small businesses fail, right? You know, they, they've got enough against them just in the regular business market. So, mm-hmm. if they get a, a database compromise where their their user data gets out there, that that will sink them. So it's it's one more obstacle to new businesses that are, are picking up. So they, they've got to be aware. They've got to work towards it. But it would be nice to see the security vendors take a little more active role in some of this to be able to 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 better increase people's awareness, let them know, make tools available to them. I think Square does a really good job with their their iPad registers where like everything is kind of self-contained and and uh, uh, and managed in a way that's all a walled garden. The customer can't really break it. Uh, but even that's not perfect. There's systems like AWS that Amazon does a great job with their systems. They say right on the website, hey, we are PCI compliant. But at the end of the day, yes, they're PCI compliant, but once you start putting your data on there, you're not necessarily PCI compliant anymore. So they don't necessarily come right out and push that on you either. You know, So these these big businesses, they could be taking a more active role in that to help support the smaller businesses that are out there. Uh, I just well, don't see that happening. To your first point, I, I, I can tell you I was at a uh, a uh, a one of these new uh, brewery places that have a bar um they've become popular in our area um so they were brand new that only opened in the last month or two before i was there and they were using square and and i'm sitting at the bar and the square device was you know behind the bartender on the counter that's sort of on the back end and he was he took my credit card to run a tab amongst you know as well as you know five or six other people and he was taking our credit cards and he was he was lining them up on the back wall facing us, facing, <laughs> facing the customers. And I'm like, can I talk to you a minute? And, and we, we, we had a, we had a little bit of a discussion about, you know, I could take a picture of all those cards right now. And especially if it's American express, I've got everything I need to, yeah, to go out and true. commit fraud. Yeah. Cause the, because the, uh, you know, the security codes printed on the front of an Amex card. Mm hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, that's probably a bad idea. I should probably flip them over. I'm like, well, not so quick, not so fast. <laughs> because now I can take a picture of the back and get the security there code and the number that's been printed <laughs> in the card. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, they had gone out, and, and I'm pretty sure it was Square. And they're like, oh, yeah, the guys gave us Square, and they said we don't have to worry about PCI. And I'm like, hmm. ah. <laughs> yeah, and you could still get popped, and it's a small number, but it's still going to be painful to you as a startup business if, if you know, even a, just a few dozen of your patrons – uh, are uh, 
um, victims of fraud, and it does come back to hurt you, and there are fines involved. Um, and Square wouldn't cover that, but they don't have to worry about reading the standard and, and reading about basics, kind of security awareness, physical security, protecting the cards, even the physical portion of it. Because if somebody tells you you don't have to worry about it, you're going to stop reading. Right? Mm, right. That's right. Um, and Don, you may have some insight into this. I, I think it was you that mentioned backups and how important they are for the, the small business. I feel like that's a very consumable problem, right? To have backups for a smaller business. I remember when I did IT for a, a smaller business, I had tapes and I used to have to go around and like feed tapes in, and that was our backup system. If something needed to be restored, like it took a long time compared to today's standards. Like it took a really <laughs> long time, and that's if the data was read properly from from tape. But there's a lot better solutions out there. Are people just not using them? Do they not realize it? Are they too expensive? What's the deal with with backups? I think people just don't use them. You know, you see things like uh, Apple, right, or Macs, where they have Time Machine. Time Machine super easy to configure and turn on, and now your system's backing up. But the, the backup is live. It, it's hooked up to your computer, mm-hmm. so it can get encrypted just like your, your computer can. Uh, but for a small business, the solutions are so much easier today. The, uh, the Dropbox, uh, Crash Plan, Azure Cloud Backup, any of those solutions that are out there where you install them and they just run in the background. And they're doing encrypted backups that are being sent, encrypted over the network, stored at an off-site location in somebody else's cloud. We didn't have that back in the day. If right. you wanted it off-site, somebody had to take it home, and that was a whole security risk in and of itself. Oh, there was – what was the, the – uh, Iron Mountain. Yep. Was the, uh, yep. the Iron Mountain trucks used to drive around. Yep. That, yep. That, when I worked at the healthcare organization, it was kind of hilarious. Uh, they used Iron Mountain, and all the tapes went off-site, and then I moved, and I moved out into the country here in Rhode Island. And I, I, Between my mom's house and our house – which is less than two miles away, is the Iron Mountain facility where all our tapes went. Mm-hmm. So if there was an emergency, <laughs> guess who was sent to go get the tapes? Yep. This guy. Because <laughs> I knew where it was. It was less than a mile from the house, and it was potentially on my way into the office there or you on go. the way home. There you go. And it's like stopping off at that warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Go find your tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, though, they had a system to do that for us. But, they do have a system. But I, they, after they found that out, they're like, oh, well, shit, Larry, you're on the authorized list to go pick up tapes in person now. Like, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, uh, I used to visit a lot of those types of facilities, Iron Mountain and others, and had to review a lot of the handling procedures for backup tapes. But that faded away. I haven't done PCI actively in almost four years. And uh, probably the and last you're a four better man for years. It. And I am a better man for it. But the last three or four years, five years of, of doing PCI, so I'm, you know, I'm going back to, you know, late two, late aughts, 2010-ish. I mean, there there weren't as well, and I worked mostly with the big merchants, but there weren't a lot of people that were still using backup tapes. Um, there were some, but but most people were using on online systems. Mm-hmm virtualized systems. And, and those systems are pretty plentiful now for, for small businesses. So and, and so I think that goes back to Jeff's point of education. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would that would be, a, you know, if that's the best protection against something like WannaCry, then uh, that's certainly got to be a, a highly commoditized, pretty affordable solution. Well, you even, just got to teach people how to do it, use it. Mm. Even broader than that, I think I think one of the best things one a small business can do is is invest in a decent uh, a cloud backup strategy now because that's it's like almost a no brainer. It's such great um, service compared to what you know that just didn't exist before. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that and you know, it's not just protection from uh, evil attackers; it's protection from uh, well-intentioned systems administrators that may mess something up. <laughs> yep, because <laughs> we've all been there. Well-intentioned, exactly. well-intentioned uh, <laughs> employees and customers. Yes. Yep. Uh, what other uh, solutions are some of the more easy wins for small businesses? I mean, Don was talking about endpoint protection. Like, dare we go down that that route? Yes, <laughs> yes, we do. I, uh, yes. Well, we can go down, but if we're talking point of sale, most of them don't have them installed. Right. And is that for uh, because they're concerned about availability? Um, it, traditionally, it was just a technical concern about pushing signatures out to hundreds, if not thousands, of remote locations, which you know are sort of remote endpoints on a traditional network. Now, as more, as more retailers are pushing their, their, uh, their internet connectivity to more cloud-based solutions, it, it may become more feasible. But um, traditionally, these are the things that aren't on a point of sale that are supposed to be from a PCI perspective. Um, uh, regular patching, uh, some sort of uh, endpoint protection, antivirus, anti-malware, uh, the ability to have it scanned on a on a you know from an internal perspective on a regular basis with a quarterly clean report, um, some sort of file integrity monitoring, and uh, usually the logs are not enabled, so they're not capturing logs. So those are the five things that were extremely common not being done on point of sale. Now let's have the conversation. And, you know, there's other technologies that, that used to be out of the reach of small businesses that are, I think, now in the reach. For example, um, uh, network intrusion detection, right? So host-based intrusion detection, we've had in one form or another for a long time, uh, and, and it was affordable. But network intrusion detection, that was always really expensive. But now even even the cheapest Cisco ASA has firepower support. So it's got Snort and a custom rule set and all that mess built into it. So they're not, they're not perfect by any means, but they're easy to deploy and they're subscription-based, you know, so you pay out a certain fee for a period of time and, and you at least get that extra level of protection there as the data is moving in and out of your network. That, that used to be out of reach. Those things are now, I think, more plentifully available. What about the ability to, to re-image a system? And I think it was, um, I think his name was Greg. He was the CISO for Advanced Auto Parts. We had him on the show. Um, I want to say he was the one that was kind of promoting, like, basically, we take an image of all our point of sale systems. If something bad happens, we just revert to a previous snapshot. I mean, it's almost like having a virtual machine on every, uh, on every system and just reverting to a snapshot. Is that – I don't hear about that technology or get asked questions uh, about that technology what, what for was, What was usage. some of the stuff that I used to see that was, like, deep freeze or something yes. like that? Yes. They used to use it um, – when I was at the university, Joff, I'm sure you must remember this too, was that uh, they'd have a, a standard image. Yeah, there, there, there was a, it was almost a hardware – it was a hardware lock, actually, if I seem to remember, um, that was associated with it as well. Yeah, like in the labs, like public computers, like when you're done using it and you log out, basically everything gets wiped and every night everything resets to the, to, to the image. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You still see a bit of that, you know, Altiris is still out there and some of the other bigger products. Um, the thing is, in in the corporate world, in small business world, medium business, whatever, uh, it's a little different than a school. On a school, you want to clean and erase a machine every single day. Yeah. In a corporate world, we don't necessarily want to do that. But if something goes wrong with it, you do want to be able to get back to where you were. And I think thanks to a lot of cloud technologies and most of our stuff being web-based, yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. if something goes wrong, screw it. You just 
format the machine and and, and that's it. We don't necessarily need a, a frequently updated image to be able to support that. I know here, at, I'll use IT Pro TV as an example. Uh, we don't back up workstations here at all. Uh, none of our none of our laptops, none of our desktops get backed up. And if, if something happens, they just get wiped out because all of our data is stored server side or in the cloud. And so there's not really a need to back up those workstations. Yeah, I noticed it with my Chromebook because I had to. I decided I wanted to flip it into developer mode. Yep. In order to do that, it does a system reset. Yep. So you lose and, all your shit. Yeah, but it's a Chromebook and like so I log in with my Google account and like all my stuff is still yeah. there. Like you're basically using Chrome as your OS essentially. Yep. I mean, there is an, a Linux OS underneath it, but um all of my stuff is in Chrome and I protect my Chrome settings and bookmarks and data with a password. Does that no, I didn't look into it uh, as much as I should. Have. Does that encrypt your settings, or does it just make you un, give un, an additional password to access it? To access it locally, to my understanding, to access it locally, someone's mm-hmm. probably screaming at the radio right now, or yeah. their, their radio listening to this, or their headphones now listening <laughs> to this, uh, or screaming at their TV. Um, but if you enable sharing of that data through Chrome, through Google, through multiple apps... Yes. And here's where it almost got to bite me not too long ago. Uh, what was it? We talked about VLC player. Uh, yeah. The with, subtitles? With, yeah. No, no, a different one. Oh. I'm sorry, not VLC. Handbrake. Yeah. Handbrake got their repository popped. Yes. Their remote one got popped, but their local didn't. And their remote had some malware included in it. So when you downloaded it for the Mac, it compromised your Mac, even though Macs don't get viruses because mm-hmm. they're invincible. Um, if you had had, and it grabbed all of your stuff from Chrome. And if you sync Chrome mm-hmm. between multiple computers through Google, that stuff from this computer would end up on that other computer that had the vulnerable version of Handbrake and have all of your passwords for all the websites that you access. Interesting. And so the, that re- password and re- store is... And the reason I know this is because I built a new machine to do Handbrake at home, and that's all it does. It does Handbrake and DVDs and stuff. And I just built it, and I installed Handbrake the weekend that it got compromised. And I had a 50-50 shot whether I was going to get popped or not. And I didn't know it at the time until after everything. And it was a 50-50 shot, and I was the unlucky 50%. But I had I installed Chrome as the default browser, and I had not logged in as my Google account. I gotcha. So none of that stuff went over. Right. But you know what See, I did? See, I put, I put a passphrase. You can put a passphrase on that data. So when you... It's easily broken. It is. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, wasn't, because, I, I didn't because, look into the protection. Because, I enabled it, and I'm like, I wonder... How much protection this is giving? So, and and, the, and I know it's easily broken because I know this because I went to my other computer because just out of good procedure, this machine got popped that had Chrome on it that could have yeah, yeah Google yeah, yeah. who knows. So I went back to the one and I'm like, well, shit, I've got this list of stuff. I want a list that I can print out and I can cross off when I've changed the damn passwords. How do I get that? Oh, it's encrypted. Oh, there's a tool in Python that decrypts it for you. Okay, here's my list. Gun. Off we go. Nice. Yeah, it was a 30 second process. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so no protection. But I would still say put the password on there because that was 30 seconds that I had to go through and someone that is of less caliber and doesn't want to go through that effort won't. I'm wondering now, I'm going to research it if there's settings, uh, because if you have a, a G Suite account, you get complete control over every user's uh, Google mm. settings, and you can exercise as little or as much control. And there's, I mean, I've spent sometimes like over an hour, a couple of hours, like 
going through the settings and researching things and it's it's not very well i mean it is documented but it's not very well like publicized like all the stuff that you can actually do with it yep. uh there's a lot of google searches yeah, to well, yeah, to yeah, figure out to, how to you use have it to all know what you need to google for and at that yeah. point for the small business person we're, we're keep this small business focused yeah. deal um you, you're you're talking about having someone that you're doing your sysadmin it's just someone else's computer again. yeah you're well, that. and that's yeah, a good point because you know, for small business, what Larry was saying, go ahead, Don. Anytime you have services that synchronize, you know, that synchronize across a, a cloud service like that, you've got a risk. And uh, I'll, I'll use Dropbox as the example. And kind of just like Larry said, if you have 20 computers that are using a central Dropbox or business account and one of them gets hit with ransomware and encrypts all the files, they're going to sync the encrypted version of those files right. up to the cloud service. And that's going to sync back down to everybody else. So everybody just got encrypted data yeah. even though they're not infected well especially especially with something like that where the new file gets encrypted it's an update so it gets synced to dropbox which now needs to be synced to everybody else because it's right. a new cascading effect and yeah. with dropbox you know when you sign up for them it, it's like i don't know a hundred dollars a year for a terabyte of storage and there's an option that they they don't necessarily show right away that for another forty dollars you get file versioning so you can do a rollback right but if uh. you didn't pay the 40 bucks then then you don't have that available and it's only forty dollars. It's a no brainer. I, I tell yeah. people about this all the time. Like you need to do that. It's only forty dollars. Uh, you know, think of the price of one bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, especially now. Oh, and Man. I'm wondering yeah. if G Suite yeah. has has similar options. Again, it's like a whole journey in and of itself. Yep. They're researching. He, he, and I can I can see you are being business. a sysadmin. Well, and I can see small businesses not not doing that right in doing the due diligence. I can see a good business opportunity for someone to say, "Hey, we can really help you not just with the security aspect, but we can help you manage your G Suite because there's so much options." Jeff. Yep. Jeff. Yeah, I, I wanted to go back to something that Don said a while ago just to make sure that we were, uh, I had the proper clarification. Um, we were talking about the point of sale and the lack of uh, a lot of basic protections that PCI requires, and he brought up the idea of uh, uh, network-based intrusion detection, which is fine. Um, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a twist to PCI that says uh, you can't use uh, uh, what you're doing to meet – an, uh, a PCI, an existing PCI requirement to satisfy another PCI requirement as a compensating control. And intrusion detection is something that's already required. So while that's a good idea to do, it's not going to solve the problem from a compliance perspective anyway of nothing's being done on the point of sale. What has been done, what is much more common is uh, there's various whitelisting solutions that have been put out there that ostensibly are better than or, or, or you know provide the, the a similar protection to what the things that they're not doing on the point of sale are supposed to uh, protect against. So I just wanted to add that clarification. Anything else on small business security or lack thereof? Where can they get good, cheap training? Yeah, there you go. That's a great segue, <laughs> and, and, Jeff. And I do have two <laughs> questions for Don, unrelated, but afterwards. So at That's the end, right. the end though, the, where, the where, where can you go. get good, good, awesome training? <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of resources that are out there. Many that are, are really great. Um, but we you, want you the know, best, Don. We want the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to make sure that you're getting the training that's right for the audience. So when you're talking about a, a small business owner, they don't necessarily need uh, a pen testing course, right? So they, they need general awareness. And there's companies like, like ours, like TV, where we've got training that's built around that for, for the, the CEO or, or somebody of that, that role that, 
that just needs to understand what their responsibility is. And then you need to designate at least one person to be responsible for IT security in your organization, even if they're not officially a CISO or, or whatever. And they're the ones that need to go much further than that. You know, you've got basics like Security Plus, but then you've got the more advanced things. But more importantly, I think, than training, and I know I'm not supposed to say this stuff because that's, that's my business, but more importantly than training, I think you just need to stay aware, right? You, you need to be hitting websites like ThreatPost and and podcasts like Security Weekly where uh, you, you can just kind of keep a, a, a finger on the pulse of what's going on out there and just be aware. Too many people are oblivious to what's going on and then all of a sudden they get blindsided. There's plenty of people out there right now that don't know what ransomware is. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, is reckless. So They should watch Secure Digital Life. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> you, so you had questions yeah, for, so, for Don. So, so Don, I'm a I'm a guy that likes to look into the background a little bit. You know, we've done some research on metadata, and I've been <laughs> I've been looking behind you at some set dressing at the awesome IT Pro TV studios, and I had two <laughs> questions. On over your left shoulder, there's a photograph next to the little green man. Is that Cubert? It's not Cubert. Oh, yes. There's a That's photograph. Whoop. Whoop. Oh, down to your oh, left. There it is. To your yeah. left. Yeah, that one. Ooh. So that oh, is oh, a... Okay, oh, all right. I see, I see, I, so I see the other reference, and... From a distance, it looked like you had an afro. See, so there's Quark, and who is the other gentleman standing, sitting next uh, to him? That's Cardassian. Yes. Uh, what's his that's name? Garrick. Quark. It's Quark on the right, and the Cardassian's name is... Garrick. Excellent. Uh, that's right. That's right. Totally Deep Space Nine reference. Yeah, and that was actually signed by Andrew Robinson. Not to be confused with Kardashians. That's it. <laughs> yep. Thank so, you, So seeing that out of context was very difficult for me to pick up who that was. The other question that I've got, uh, you know, so over basically right behind your head, is there anything better than Johnny Walker back there? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got, he's got quite – those are – now, see, I've been to Don's office, and that was my first question. I'm like, those, dude, like, are those full – well, no, no wait, no. Really. They're empty. Never mind. Yeah, well, see, that's the good thing. But, <laughs> he drank them all. But no. Okay, in okay. one sitting. The, the legend wow. goes that he drank them all in wow. one sitting and lived to tell. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a related question, and that is, um, that is over, over your right shoulder, um, that rack of things that look like servers, is that real servers or is it fake? Uh, so they, they were real servers. They are now fake. <laughs> okay. Well, they are real servers. They're just They're not doing anything important. That's right. That's right. They would be entirely too noisy if I turned them on. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, uh, well, okay, so they're real servers, but not actually executing or running servers. But okay, that's okay. Yeah. So, so Don, you'll, you know, I'm a Star Wars guy, but uh, I have a very healthy re- respect for uh, Star Trek as well. Um, as you my, should. My, uh, my wife is currently Absolutely. running through her favorite uh, uh series of star trek which uh, is voyager go figure female captain She's oh <laughs> gilligan's island in space it but is gilligan's island in space she likes it <laughs> i pick my battles doesn't matter head sex right <laughs> uh, well and you get to uh seven of nine is, is not hard I to look at my I case admit, jerry ryan is not jerry ryan. rest yeah. my case now that also said, uh, and, and the Borg, some really epic stuff with the Borg as well. Uh, my uh, nine-year-old daughter has also very much taken an interest into Star Trek because of my wife's involvement or my wife's uh, love for Voyager. Uh, and Voyager came out with like in her college years, so mm-hmm. it was something that she sort of 
you know, was growing up with type of thing. So there's uh, another one coming out this year, you know. Oh, really? There's also another Star Wars movie coming out this year. Star Trek Discovery. I'm totally looking for Okay. I think Jeff's in the same camp as me. I'm completely a Trekkie. Uh, I, I think Don is as well, by the sounds of things. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Kind of got me wanting to go back and watch Deep Space Nine again. I, I never fully appreciated Absolutely. that. I kind of always it thought was it was my a favorite one. one. Yeah, but please tell me you've been watched the original series. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've I watched grew up the, watching the original series and uh, wasn't the biggest fan of the Next Generation, but DS Nine that was the one that resonated with me. Uh, did anybody pick up on Enterprise though? Did anyone pick up Star Trek Enterprise? Yes. That was a good series too. I really, I really enjoyed okay. Enterprise, uh, but boy. it was way too short. And uh, I think Scott Bakula. I, I don't know. I'm so. I think it was. I think it was. Uh, look, look, look. There. Oh, there. Oh, very nice. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. We have totally dove off the cliff. We have. Hey, Don, have you answered five questions with Security Weekly before? Uh, we did it. Yes. Okay, yeah. we did it before. Okay. Yeah, he did. They, they were the greatest. I, I've answers, got a, I've got a Well, now way. that you've had chance to think about it, <laughs> yeah. No, we <laughs> no. won't do it again. Uh-huh. One and done. One and all right. <laughs> I wonder if Don could said. quickly expound on the difference that the way he uh, was articulating between awareness and training. That that intrigued me. Oh, now we're back on the real topic. Now, oh. yeah, we're okay. back on the real yeah. topic. Um, you know. I, I can touch on that. Certainly uh, training a lot of times is built around a certification. It's built around a test. Like you need to, to memorize these things and then go take this test and show that you memorize those things. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily show that you understand the topic, that you can properly apply the topic, that you even give a crap about the topic. Cause most of the time we don't right? Um, awareness is really just kind of understanding what, you need to be doing understanding what's going on around you like like situational awareness you know what what exactly is the flow of your data across the network and what risks you exposed to and we talk about defense in depth w- what is my depth where, where are the points where i could be implementing security not not that i necessarily need to but where could i if i wanted to that's all stuff that's not necessarily in a textbook because it's different for every organization so you understand your data as a business owner better than than anybody outside is going to so how we can apply those security topics to your own business. That that's what I consider awareness. And a lot of people miss out on that. They don't they don't get that piece. And yeah, they've memorized the uh I don't know, the ISO model or the sorry, the OSI model. See, I screw up the acronym. The OSI model or the uh you know twenty different encryption algorithms. Great. Well you're only going to use one of them, so you know 20 of them. Are you properly applying it? Are you applying it to the data in the right places? Is it all being maintained properly? That's all what comes in in addition to that. So it is different, in my opinion. I'm probably nitpicking words on that one, but uh, awareness versus training, it's its really two different things. Uh, I had one, actually, last question for you, Don. Um, I think when we were speaking last, you said something about having training for G Suite. What do you have training for that? And if so, where is it? Who's it targeted at? Uh, so I, I made it myself. Well, I made it myself with my team here. <laughs> I'll take full credit for that. <sighs> um, but yeah, we we uh, we have G Suite training. Um, it's targeted towards a system administrator, and it could be a, a single person working for a company with five employees up to you know a, a team managing a much larger organization. Uh, that that content scales really well. Google made their product where it scales really well like I that. Gotcha. How technical? Uh, how so. technical does it get? Uh, is it, it super technical or like not super technical? 
everything is done via the web interface. Mm-hmm. So we never have to drop to like a shell or write a script or anything. I think I the closest you. we do is a, a CSV to import a bunch of users into G Suite. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but, but everything else, it, it explores all the different functions that are kind of found. And it's like you said, Paul, there are a ton of options in there. Tons, and some of it's dude. really tricky. Yeah. And some of it's really neat. I think if you spend the time with it, I think it can really help improve the security. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely yeah. – Sam, if you're listening, yeah. I'm going to send you through that. I'm going to send you – yeah. We're, well, that I've enabled to go live at the end of summer for our, our domain because uh, I started using YubiKeys. Um, and yeah, I, I find, like, it, they're, they're, it's, it's like it's like potato chips. Like, once you get one, you're like, I really need another one because you can basically – enable multiple YubiKeys to be your second factor Mm -hmm. for all of your things so that I can have one in my pocket, right? And I can have one on my keychain and I can have one on my bag. And then I just got to know if I lose one, I go in and I deactivate that in my account. So it's a little bit yeah, of management. You just need to get, get a YubiKey for every computer you use, and you can just leave it right there by the computer. Yeah. That way it's there when you need it. <laughs> I, you could do that, I, but that's actually not a bad approach. The problem is the management, yes. though, right? Is if you lose a computer, someone steals it, or you lose that YubiKey, you got to know to go in and, and disable that token. And if you get too many, you can lose track very easily. Um, I have my, my one YubiKey, which is on my, my keychain with my car keys, because I, I never go anywhere without that, so I've always got that key with me. And then after that, it's my recovery key that I have to jump over to if I lose that one. So I, I just stick with right. one key. That's what I have. I'm, I'm thinking about adding a third into the mix, uh, because inevitably, like, I'll be in my word. basement office working, and my <laughs> keys are, like, all the way upstairs, or I'm here in the studio doing a show, and I don't have my keys on me, and I'm like, I can't log in because I don't have my keys on me. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's good. Well, you know, um, wait, what I did for that, Paul, is I, I also set up the, uh, uh, Google authenticator as well. And yes. so I've so got that's like a backup key and the Google authenticator. So I can go between them if I don't have one. Right now. Can you turn off the SMS in favor of authenticator and a YubiKey? Uh, I don't have SMS turned on my, uh, I'm talking about the actual Google authenticator app. Yeah. The app. Uh, right. Cause yep. mine backs up right now to SMS, which I don't like at all. Yeah, I don't use that one. Cool. Uh, all right, with that, we're going to take a short break. Come back, and uh, Don, are you going to stay with us for the rest of the show, or do you have to go? Uh, I'm good either way. Okay. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Finding Node.js next. Oh, I'll break. Stick around, Don. We love you, man. The average time between being hacked and realizing you've been hacked is one year. Can you afford to let an intruder roam your network for that long? Can your company weather the fallout when this comes to light? Black Hills Information Security can find the bad guys in your network and train you to do it yourself. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a hunt teaming engagement can help you find a persistent threat in your network. Signal Sciences is the industry's first web protection platform that works in any cloud, any container, any platform as a service, and any modern application architecture. The Signal Sciences web protection platform can be deployed in next-generation WAF, RASP, or reverse proxy modes, giving customers ultimate flexibility and coverage. Protect your web applications with Signal Sciences web protection platform. Signal Sciences, securing code and connecting teams. For more information, check them out at signalsciences.com forward slash ESW. 
Has your network been breached? Cyber Reason can help you answer this question. Cyber Reason products hunt for threats within your network and eliminate them in real time. To Cyber Reason, real time means within seconds. Founded by former military hackers who don't play by the rules, they've built this experience into their platform. Harness ingenuity and imagination, not just code, to defeat attackers. Cyber Reason, disrupt the adversary and let the hunt begin. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul Security Weekly. Make sure you come check out Wild West Hack and Fest. It's put on by Red Team Specialists for anybody and everybody interested in information security. Join us on October 27th and 28th for hands-on hardware hacking talks by famous infosecers like Dave Kennedy, Deviant Egypt, Chris Nickerson, Chris Gates, Mike Poor, and Sub-T, and more! Pasadori and Larry Pesci, Joff Thayer. <laughs> check us out at WildWestHackingFest.com, H-A-C-K-I-N, Fest. And for, the, and for the record, the Buck and Bronco Rider logo is awesome. With John's trans face yeah, photoshopped yeah, on? Yeah, look at the face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, you know, there, there is, uh, I won't give it away, but there's some more interesting logo stuff going on. So uh, you, you need to show up. It's going to be fun. It's going to be huge. 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 It's Hopefully it doesn't huge involve uh, John on a horse. <laughs> uh, Bad. Moses Hernandez is here with us. Moses is a consulting systems engineer at Cisco and an instructor for the penetration testing courses at SAN. Moses, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Hey, Larry. It's going hey, on. Hey, so uh, you're going to talk about finding Node.js. Like, I, I did oh, a Google search, and I, yeah. I found it. In a, is that <laughs> end of segment? No? It's at <laughs> Node.js.com? What? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so I... Um, it turns out that I, uh, I I was running a... We are talking about WordPress and Slack and all these different applications, and... Um, and, and actually me running WordPress, the latest WordPress, I was running a vulnerability scanner on my box one day and I realized no. I'm running Node.js all over the place. And so um, I've been doing this talk, this kind of awareness talk uh, for everybody that attends uh, SANS where I'm training, um, really focusing on Node.js um, on the desktop. And so um, I took that talk, I cut it up into pieces and... Um, I, I kind of red teamed it a little bit. So it's really about awareness of um, the fact that the Node.js that's running on the server is running desktop side. Um, and not just that, there's old remnants of Node.js running and there's vulnerabilities around it. And there's actually the demo that I'll show you is bypassing um, uh, sandbox uh, blocking or, you know, whether it's Microsoft uh, software restriction policy or app blocker um, using the Node.js that's installed right on your box. No, so wait. I I thought Node.js was basically server side JavaScript. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. But the server is running on your box, and and we'll kind of talk about how, yeah, how that kind of works. Wait. But yes. So the, the but the server the server is running on my running on the box. Yeah, it's running on my. <laughs> so okay. So let me let me kind of fast forward this to you. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to just make that, can you make that full screen? Can you go to like oh, presentation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You know Moses can make it full screen. Uh, hold on, I'll make it full screen. There you go. All right, so, yeah, there, you go. there we go. All right. All right, so, yeah, by the way, my words. All right, so we'll move on. Um, this is my best uh, impersonation of a Kendrick Lamar album, so I thought I'd, I'd throw that out there. Uh, but uh, I, like I thought, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, this is the actual talk, right? Um, now, I was having a lunch with some of the other authors of 642 because I actually authored two of the days of the advanced uh, web app pen testing course. And I told them that Node.js was basically uh, like if Java on the desktop and PHP had a love child, 
Um, that's that's Node.js today. Gotcha. That's very 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 well done. Well done. I like it. Yeah. So that that's the premise. Um, so this is the story time, right? This is me looking and seeing a Node.dll running on my box, running an Wait, old version. So of the- when you say your box, you mean the the client my, with the web browser? Yeah. My my no no my web Windows server. Computer, no no my web my Windows computer has a file on it running the Node DLL, okay, that is actually Node.js server-side JavaScript that used to be called Node.exe running an old version, running, I mean, you know, from a couple months ago. Um, Ah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's very sad. Um, So (laughs) let me explain what this is. Um, This is server-side JavaScript, right? We talk about it, and a lot of, you know, hipster web applications run it. Um, But really, it's a framework that usually is built on something called Electron, okay? So if you're running any one of these kind of client desktop applications, what the GitHub folks decided to do was say, hey, you know what? Um, we could take Node.js. We could package it with Chrome. We can, we can actually deliver a cross-platform experience across all the desktops by having JavaScript server-side being rendered Right on your own box. You mean to tell me? So wait, so wait, wait, wait. So Go you ahead. mean to tell me when I run the Slack app on my Mac, I'm running Chrome and Node locally? You're running Node.js for sure. Chrome doesn't have to be there, but you're running Node.js for sure. So we we well, made a we made a framework for running JavaScript on the server, server side, but now and we're then we run it, it on the, the client. client. That's correct, and and you're and they're basically and the standing up a, a server. web server. Yeah, the, right. The, so you're, you're so the client. The yeah, client I wonder app, where this is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's already been bugs. Um, so uh, Travis Ormandy, you know, you, you gotta love when he finds a bug. Um, or he not? Dis- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he disclosed a couple of bugs on the Trend Micro framework uh, a few months ago, where um, if you're running Trend Micro uh, desktop antivirus and you were running their password manager, which came by default. Um, it stood up a lo- – it wasn't even Electron. It was just straight up Node.js listening on a local socket um, to oh. provide the password manager. And, of course, it actually provided command execution. So all you had to do was, like, send JavaScript, like like an actual cross-state scripting, uh, that told it to launch the local host. And, well, he had calc, but you can imagine it could have been anything. Um so that this is an actual problem. This is an actual big problem. I'll show you how you can find it and abuse it. But um, this is fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, so Electron is uh, cross-platform desktop apps uh, for, with JavaScript, HTML, CSS, the whole thing. Hmm. Right? Uh, nothing can go wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is what started my part of the talk. So I, I talk about abusing Node.js in many ways. But for this tech segment, I'm focusing in on this one blog posting. So if anybody's not read this, uh, this came out April 20th. Um, and basically, if you're running an NVIDIA driver, now, Larry Parr, are any of you guys running NVIDIA drivers potentially on, on a Windows uh, machine? Uh, not, I don't personally run Windows uh, except in a, a VM. But on some of our systems here in the studio, they do have NVIDIA drivers. Yeah, yeah. So if you're running the GeForce Experience, okay, that's the NVIDIA... Uh, um, like updater, it runs Node.js. And in this blog post, they show you very eloquently how to take Node.js, and this is part of their blog post, right? They say, hey, here's your Node.js. Here's a whole different version than the one I showed you. It's a newer version. Um, 
And it's the NVIDIA webhelper.exe, but the original file name is node.exe, sadly enough. Um, and here is a command that you can run that basically brings in the child process, which basically is like a Python's popen, forks out calc, and then passes it through the NVIDIA process in interactive mode, and it bypasses AppLocker, right? Um, so I, I was curious. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm running different applications. I'm running Atom. Um, can I show you that? So um, the last, anybody that's ever taken a class with me knows that I run um, uh, Emacs as my desktop <laughs> I know. I, I know. I, I liked mean, you. Get, get him off the show, right? I now. liked you right <laughs> up until this point, Moses. I know. I know. Uh, uh, all right. All right. The only saving grace is, please, Moses, please tell me that you do not run Emacs as your default shell under Linux. Uh, n- yes, but I've changed. I've changed. I've changed. I'm He's maturing. I'm actually now running Adam, running an, a shell Node.js process. All right. So the Adam text editor. Um, has been my replacement for, for Emacs because, you know, I'm a neckbeard hipster and this is what we do. Um, <laughs> so um, so this is Adam, right? Um, now, um, it, it does run cross-platform. Um, so let me show you kind of um, my current software restriction policy. So if you try to run MS Paint, you know, from here, you see I, I really can't. It's blocked. Even if you run it here... Um, you know, you just can't. It's just not available, right? So if you're going to be doing any of this kind of work, um, you're going to want to see if somebody's actually got Node.js installed. We'll talk about how you find the DLLs and the appropriate things out there. But um, for easy bake oven purposes, um, let me just show you the exact command that you can run to kind of bypass this. Um, if, so you're showing a, if you're showing a command, you got to make it bigger, Moses. Oh, yeah, we got it. That's right. I forgot. My Mac is like... One of those crazy ones. Um, it's, this is Windows. To, yeah, it's definitely crazy because you use Emacs. <laughs> Windows, guys, give me a second. This is all crazy. Uh, how do I make? How do I make Windows? Uh, <laughs> we seem to have this. We had this problem last week. <laughs> You're in. Yeah. How do I make Windows cooperate? Oh, never. Oh, here we go. Control, Control Plus, Control. There, it is. there you there go. It is. Oh, look at that. Control-Shift-Plus. Oh, that's Linux. Never mind. Anyway, so um, in my particular system, one of the things we'll talk about is where um, some of these um, applications are installed. And so lucky, you know, Adam, to make it easier for everybody, it's installed right on the user's profile. And so is Slack, by the way, Larry, you know, just so that, you know, of course, you don't want any kind of restrictions. You want users to install stuff. So... Um, so here's Adam. Uh, hold on, Adam. Because you need and, a text editor to get to your text editor. Yeah, of course. Um, and this is how we find um, the application. This what is how an Emacs user starts Adam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you are you are going to get endless rations of crap from oh, me. Oh, that's, that's fine. I, I actually want to let everybody know that uh, I do not mind my operating system is a text editor and vice versa. So we're good with that. So um, here here's how you would start it. And here's MS Paint running, right? So uh, what we did was we started uh, Emacs. We started Emacs. We started Node.js because the Node executable is delivered with Atom. We started Node 
in interactive mode, just like you would start Python uh-huh. in an interactive shell. And all we did was we piped in required child process ex- and execute MS Paint silently in the background. Oh, dear God. And, oh, my God. And that's it. Um, and that bypasses uh, things. Uh, so I ins- because I, I don't use a real editor like VI, I've installed Atom. And because I installed Atom, it's bundled with Node.js, which should be run on the server, not the client. I can basically, it's vulnerable to command uh, injection, essentially. It's not command injection, but it's definitely bypassing um, software restrictions, right? Gotcha. It's not respecting. Now, now you can run a newer version of Node.js, okay, um, that will respect um, uh, software um, uh, restrictions. restrictions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can run it, right? But the problem is, and this is the other part I wanted to kind of talk about, um, it, as you're going through your engagements and you realize, okay, well, they're running server-side JavaScript in order to – I mean, it's really not um, replacing the server. It's really not doing that. What it's doing is it's just making it easier for you to program a front-end – think about it. Everybody's front-end is JavaScript today, right? So all they're doing is replacing the network connectivity with it being on your local box. That's really all they're doing with this, right? So they're making it easier for developers to develop stuff. You can you can see how the WordPress guys um, said, hey, you know, PHP, it's hard to build an editor – Let's just do it in Node.js. It's so much simpler. And yes, I know it's so sad. Um, anyway, um, wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go back, Moses. What is? How does this intersect with WordPress again? WordPress. Oh yeah. So <laughs> so WordPress um, dot com has a desktop app. Oh right? okay okay yeah. So WordPress.com has a desktop app that they called Project Calypso. Mm-hmm. So I know you guys used to – I heard the first segment. I know you guys ran WordPress. You're familiar with the original WordPress desktop app. They replaced all of that with this new version called Calypso, which is getting away from all that cruddy, horrible PHP stuff that they had to deal with. Um, and now they've got this desktop client. But unfortunately, the sad part is – the desktop client is built in Node.js, which is uh, problematic. Okay, I got you. Oh, so bad. I'm with you now. Bad, yeah, yeah. It's so sad for them um, to have to have gotten to this point. Um, so I know Larry's on a red team. So Larry, I mean, this is how I would approach it. You post, you've got app locker, some kind of software restriction policy. Can you do a bypass, right? So the first thing you're going to want to run wonder is, you know, you, we saw the the Node.js. Um, simplest way to do the Node.js, as long as you knew where the Node EXE is, if it was there, um, that would be one easy way of doing it, right? Um, the, the issue is, how do I find some of these things? So you can actually look for a couple of um, artifacts besides Node.exe that will help you um, identify that an application was written with some kind of a Node.js framework. One is, a lot of times, Node.js frameworks um, will have a directory called node underscore modules um, where all the different node modules and node packages will live. So for example, on my Mac, uh, I use this command on the right here to look for all the node modules um, directories. And then what I did was I sorted it out by um, the actual name of the application because you'll find files in there. And then so, you know, my box, um, it would look like just two files, if you will. Um, or you can look for the existence of common patterns, right? So on Windows, you can look for Node DLL or Node.exe. You might find that, or you can look for Node modules as well, because that would exist in Windows. 
Um, it would exist across platform. Um, once you found it, what you would probably want to do is some type of, of way of determining what version you're running to see if it's a vulnerable version. Looks like anything six and below is vulnerable to this, at least at the moment. Um, so here's an example of me on my box finding the WordPress.com um, no DLL file, um, passing it um, some PowerShell saying, hey, I want you to give me the property of that executable, which will show me the file version um, that's there. Hmm. So some, some quick and easy ways of kind of determining um, where something is so that you can actually get uh, privilege or bypassing um, uh, execution, if you will. Yeah. Now, so Moses, on, on the converse, thinking about this is that I know a lot of the really cool shit you do on Windows nowadays is all uh, PowerShell-based. And uh, we're finding that many folks are trying to restrict the use of PowerShell on systems. So conceivably, if Node was there, you could and a quote vulnerable vulnerable version of Node packaged with an app, you could use Node interactively to execute uh, PowerShell to bypass software restriction policies. Absolutely, love oh, your absolutely. thinking, Larry. Love your thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bravo, bravo. Bro, so that you, was you, you said. So, Larry, I know you're on a red team, and I'm like, yeah. As a, you were saying that, I am texting the guys saying, "Fuck, you guys need to watch the show right now." <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I can confirm, read the text. <laughs> Fuck, <That's awesome. laughs> y'all need to watch the show with Moses right now. <laughs> so, 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 hold on. So, so, here's some cool stuff that I think you also should think about. So, okay. Two, two things that I'm I'm currently working on that I'm not sure. Um, it's possible, but it's likely, okay? Uh, one is, no DLL could be called from run DLL 32 somehow to give you the interactive shell. So I'm working on a way to figure that part out. It's a little wonky um, because it's it's technically node.exe, but it's packaged as a DLL. So it doesn't natively run without run DLL 32. And mm. so it's not perfect yet. But, um, but no DLL could also run JS files. And so it's kind of like DLL hijacking, but it's like I could always like hot back, hot patch the JS files to run on my own. And, you know, anything you can conceive of in JS, right, where it's packed or whatever, um, you could technically do. Um, so you could use node.exe in place of PowerShell or in place of PowerShell.exe as a stager, if you will. Mm -hmm. Just an alternative way of, of doing it. Um, just kind of ran out of runway to play around with this. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of an interesting way of, of abusing web services on your local host. That's awesome. <laughs> Moses, uh, thank you very The mushroom cloud just yeah. literally erupted over my head. That was awesome, dude. Fantastic technical segment. Um, where can people find more information about this project? Do you have like a website or... Uh, yeah, well, I, I do. I, I blog uh, on my own site. I blog on renegade.blog, um, or you can find me on Twitter, or um, I'll be teaching somewhere and always putting something in uh, in a class. So, um, so awesome. To, absolutely. to recap, the fix is update to the latest version of Node. Correct. If, if it's available. Right. <laughs> if it's yeah, it depends on what they packaged with your application. That's correct. Right, because every if you do a if you do an install of Node locally, it won't necessarily patch all of the reference Node versions with your application. WordPress clients and by, by Slack. Way, Larry, well, yeah. well, let's not try to fix the problem or anything. Here's the so, other problem, Larry. I, I kind of skipped this, but I think you're going to find this. Remember, I mentioned Java on the desktop. What was the issue with Java on the desktop way back? When? It was slow. <laughs> way back when, yeah, it was slow. Oh, well, yeah. Wait, no, even well, today, it's slow. Sure. 
Uh, but what was the issue with versioning? You had to have like a billion versions to actually make many <laughs> Any ver- application many, many, many applications to run. So yeah, they, they were all so, independent. Yeah, so it turns out that even within the same application, like Atom, you can have a littering of versions on the disk. Oh, uh, interesting. Oh, yeah. So the solution yeah. there is to use VI. Uh, yeah. Just yeah, saying. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Emacs now. Yeah, now <laughs> what you need to do is you need to actually publish a version of VI with Node. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this reminds me a lot. I, I, I love what you're doing, uh, Moses. It, re- it reminds me a lot of uh, the the world of Java deserialization vulnerabilities, yeah. which is the, is the same kind of issue where it's very, very difficult to patch because there's like different versions like scattered everywhere of the code and, and you just just can't get at the problem. So um, yeah. bravo, man. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I do have a Sans uh, blog post going up in a few uh, in a few uh, uh, weeks here that talks about another issue in Node.js around buffer. Um, so that should be fun too. Awesome. Well, Moses, thank you very much for You're appearing welcome. on Paul Security Weekly. With that, yeah. we are going to take a short break. Come back, talk about security news for this week. IT Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Access over 2,000 hours of up-to-date, high-quality video content live and on demand for a free 7-day trial and 30% off the lifetime of your account. Visit itpro.tv forward slash security weekly and use the code SW30. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. Logarithms Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free, commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. Endgame automates the hunt for both known and never-before-seen adversaries in enterprise networks. Built on unique knowledge on the adversary's tools, techniques, and tactics, Endgame's centrally managed agent prevents, detects, and responds to advanced adversaries in the earliest stages of the kill chain without prior knowledge. Endgame. Automate the hunt. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul Security Weekly. This is our security news for this week. I'm here to tell you not just about Anycon. Actually... I am here to tell you about Anycon, of course, the first hacker conference of its kind in Albany, New York. The event will take place June 16th, 17th, excuse me, in the Albany Convention Center. Capture the flag competition, hardware hacking, village ping pong tournament, several tracks available, family-friendly environment. Dave Kennedy will be delivering the keynote. Security Weekly Zone, Doug White will be there giving out Security Weekly t-shirts. Hacker movie-themed glassware. You can go to anycon.info forward slash tickets. Use the discount code Paul and get 25% off. And um, Jeff Mann will be speaking. Jeff Mann will be speaking at Anycon as well. Doug and team, <laughs> I think Sam uh, and one of the production crew, Mark, Riley, or Tyler, one of the three will be there. I'm not sure which. Sam knows. Um, but uh, also, they will have... A small selection of challenge coins to give to very special people. Uh, we talked about the Security Weekly challenge coin, I think, uh, last week or the week before. Um, 
Also, I did want to also mention that uh, in updating our websites, visit our websites. We've adjusted a lot of the content. Please go there. Check it out. You can subscribe to all of our shows on the network, which now includes Enterprise Security Weekly, Startup Security Weekly, Tradecraft Security Weekly, Secure Digital Life, this show. Am I forgetting any? Did I forget one? Stogie Geeks. Stogie Geeks. Hack Naked News. Tradecraft. Hack Naked News. That's the one I was missing. Hack Naked News. There's an entire network of shows. You can subscribe to them individually. Yep. Uh, so, so many of the shows are in the, in the main For, for me, one I didn't know about, which is crazy, uh, Tradecraft Security Weekly. Yeah, I didn't really know about it either until Bo was like, hey, I want to start doing stuff. And I'm like, all right. He's like, I want to call it Tradecraft Security Weekly. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So what's it about? So it's basically uh, tech segments from Bo, mini tech segments on how to do just stuff. Just from Bo. Does he have guests come on? No. It's just him talking about huh. like straight up technical segments. I, I I will say, knowing our model, how that's gone, he's going to run out of <laughs> tech segments. So. Yeah, it, we'll see how Bo does. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful, too. We were very... And we did really well for a long time. Yes. It is hard to keep up a regular... Stamina, as it were. Yes. We'll but see they make a pills. pill for that. Right, Jeff? That's right. They may- <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's if the, uh, if the show goes on for more than four hours, you have to contact your doctor. That's yeah. right. Yeah, John, just, just um, the curmudgeon on the show. Now, John is also pledged to do like an on-the-road, like just John random security thoughts, knowledge, news kind of show as well. Uh, and, and a lot of these will start out as like YouTube-only kind of things uh, that you can get on our YouTube channel. Um, and we're adding a technical segment to Enterprise Security Weekly. Nice. I, I don't want to call it Enterprise Defender. That's kind of what I'm, how I'm referencing it yep. now. Obviously, there's a SANS class on right, Enterprise right, right. Defender, um, but it'll focus on... Enterprise Blue Team. Yeah, Enterprise Blue Team. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you, you know, you, you've got to... We love Bo, right? He's, he's uh, yeah. dedicated to making some content um, to improve tradecraft, and, and that's cool, right? I mean, let's... You know, I think that'll that'll flourish for a period of time, and uh, and like you said, uh, there is sort of a, a limit. Who's that, <laughs> that talking? I don't recognize him. What? Oh, what yeah. are you talking about? Why do you have sunglasses? Yeah, he's got on. Ray Charles glasses on. Uh, well, I, I decided that for security news, that it was time to go incognito this evening, right? Because you know, security news is well not so fun sometimes. What? And, uh, what? Get out. Oh, we're all Get out. You're going to start using Emacs next. Get out. Oh, no. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to use Emacs. I'm just having problems seeing. No. Um, uh, you know, it's the, uh, it's the patriotic uh, uh, Russian hacker story that, it, that that's bothering me. Oh, gotcha. But, uh, so well, let's talk about the patriotic Russian hackers. Yeah, let's do you, it. You, you want to talk about the patriotic Russian hackers? I do. Hackers? Hackers. Um, well, uh, do you want me to talk about I it? I do. Apparently, I want you to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Well, apparently uh, Vladimir Putin was uh, was interviewed uh, in, in press uh, today and made several comments uh, in St. Petersburg about how um, his government is not involved in hacking per se, and I paraphrase, uh, but um, apparently there's patriotic Russian hackers that just might be highly motivated to um, engage in hacking activities against other, you know, nations. But it's not his government. So that's the gist of the story. Well, that's not the 
busy uh, the biggest excuse for nation state hacking i don't know what is yeah uh, it sounds like complete horseshit to me i mean but i mean that was my read it's a lot of hand waving uh, and jedi mind tricks it's patriotic yeah. russian yeah. hackers yeah, yeah. they're I mean, independent I mean, to, to quote, to quote, of course, it's translated. If they are patriotically minded, they start making their contributions, which are right from their point of view to the fight against those who say bad things about Russia. So, okay, there it is. So it's, so it's open season. Yeah. Uh, so that was the patriotic uh, hacking story. Um, and on a side note, uh, Megan Kelly. Uh, formerly of Fox News, uh, I think was uh, over to NBC and uh, took up the mantle uh, for that um, particular um, uh, interview, or, well, a number of interviews, I believe. Yeah, it was her debut. Yeah. First thing she gets to do on the new network is go talk to Putin. So I, I guess congratulations. Um, yeah, no, I saw that on the news. <laughs> I saw that on the news this morning that uh, she's like, yeah, they've agreed to let me speak to Putin for an hour. I'm like... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's really all there is to say about the patriotism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's of Russian hackers. But I, it's kind of <laughs> we were talking earlier about paying attention to headlines mm-hmm. versus like what's actually going on, and I think likely a hundred percent of what the headlines are reporting on cyber attacks and the U.S. and Russia is. Really, just that it's just headlines. Yep. Now, now that said, there's also there's also some potential things that we need to be aware of with all of those. And I saw a thread on the Sands mailing list that like, hey, we have a knock, and we put all this stuff on the knock TVs, and we want some news, and we want some headlines, but we want something that's not all of this political crap. And it was difficult to, from my opinion, it was difficult. And I think even still, I think we need to be mindful of the political crap that gets out there because the political crap has some influence of how people behave, regardless of whether or not there's some polarizing thing to that politically. But it changes the way people think and it affects the way other nations and other hacking groups think. And we need to be conscious of those, quote, crap, or fake news, whichever you want to call it, headlines. And, uh, yeah, and in, have some in the old days, we used to call it propaganda. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and folks react to propaganda, including hacking groups. So I think we need to be cognizant of all of them. Exactly. Oh, anyone want to speculate who the shadow brokers are? Oh, uh, no. well, that's, a, that's an interesting one. So that that's the, the second story, um, well, maybe the third story in my list, that uh, the Shadow Brokers have opened up a subscription service. They have. Now, um, where you can uh, buy your zero days for the small price of $21,000, I believe it was. And they're switching to some uh, new currency. What was the currency? E- yeah. I, 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 um, I, Ethereum? Zcash? And it might have Zcash. been Zcash. Zcash, yes. Um, so... Huh. Um, Interesting. That's all I can say. Um, I it, it it I don't want to speculate too much, but it would seem that that to me, and, and my gut instinct is that these people might not be U.S. based. But I could be wrong. Well, the the thing with the 
subscription service is it's i mean for an individual a lot of money for a nation state not a lot of money so clearly mm-hmm. their market is you know nation states probably masquerading as an individual but the interesting part is like you don't know what you're buying like basically you subscribe and when yeah. they come out with a bunch of exploits like that's what you get like you don't really know what you're getting yeah that's right it's kind of like those the, um, uh, did you see the crowdfunding push they were doing where they were trying to you know, get a bunch of people to chip in like a Kickstarter yeah, or something yeah. like that? To and they pulled it. it. And I guess that all collapsed. Yeah, it pulled it. So the, the big one for that, Don, was, was really interesting. Oh, so people said, let's subscribe, but let's crowdfund well, yeah, well, the, the, the there was subscription. Yeah, there was a group yeah. that out there that said, hey, let's crowdfund a subscription. And uh, the it's very clear, like, I don't even need to call my lawyer to know that receiving stolen property, <laughs> yes. let alone contributing to pay for stolen property is illegal. Yeah, uh, so they pulled, like they pulled the idea that. of so a neck bearded hipster. Yeah, it, it, so it was it was kind of interesting um, that in uh, one of the articles I read, uh, this was on Ars Technica, um, that um, you know there there was an individual that was that was that was saying that that it presented an ethical dilemma for them as a security firm because it was attractive to to. Um, and I again, I paraphrase, but but seemingly attractive to go after this kind of stuff because, well, you know, having zero days in hand is certainly a competitive advantage. Sure, uh, it's my supposition. Yeah, but like, how long would those be zero days for? Yeah, That's exactly. How long are they going <laughs> to until that crowdfunded group dropped them? Right. Yeah, or, or anyone. Just, you don't even. You, all you have to do is tell the vendor, yeah. and then. It's any X amount of time before the vendor, depending on who the yeah. vendor is and how motivated they are to fix it. Conceivably, they're only going to be zero days for so long. Yep, agreed. I, I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking that um, uh, some sort of prosecution is not too far behind this, um, but I guess we'll see what happens. I have to imagine yeah. that intelligence agencies are feverishly looking for who the shadow brokers yes. are. So speaking, unless of, it is an intelligence agency themselves. So speaking, themselves. speaking of uh, shadow could brokers, be some motivated Russians yeah. could be, yeah, speaking could be of, any nation's intelligence yep. agency. Spe- so speaking of uh, shadow brokers, um, Paul, you, uh, I'm sure you sent, saw, and I probably didn't send it to the right people because I'm an idiot. But I sent the request in as to talk about the the Vault Seven dump. Yep, and there was some Swift stuff uh, there um, that. We've been talking a lot about the Vault 7 dump and all of the zero days that came out of that, but the Swift portion has been largely overlooked because I don't think a lot of people understand what that really means. Correct. And I know a guy that really understands what that Swift stuff means and has done lots of analysis of the dump from all of the Swift stuff and has some very interesting theories about what that could potentially mean. One... What the hell is the Swift stuff all about? And two, well, it's an e- what well, did it do? It's an easy, if you have access to that, an easy way to get money, yep. conceivably. Right, And but what did it do and what was the intent? Potentially, what was it? What did it do and what was the intent? And what are some of the things that we can glean from some of that Swift data? And he's got some really, really interesting theories about that. Do we get to know what those are? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll tell you. Oh. oh yeah, like on, on the show. Or? Oh yeah, oh okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like this is kind of timely and okay. interesting, and yeah. one of those one of those things that Swift that not, not a lot of people have been talking about the Swift portion. They've all as us as security professionals, we've been talking about 
what that means from a zero day perspective, but what did the SWIFT thing really mean from a larger, potentially political perspective and from a technology perspective for SWIFT? Yeah, the, potentially much more impactful, I think. Well, yeah. in, in the reason, uh, one of the larger reasons I think is for that is because once that transfer happens on the Swift network, mm. it's done. It's not like a credit card where right. there's reimbursements that happen. Like Swift is done. It's done. Yeah, it's but done. Even, That's it. Money's even, gone. But even worse. Think about the Swift data and what is contained in that Swift data, and that's all I'm going to say because I don't oh, want to. I, don't, you I do don't want to. I don't want to steal the thunder. Yeah, I don't want to steal the thunder of the person that's been doing the analysis of this stuff, and he's got some really interesting thoughts about some of this stuff. So, we'll leave it at that. So, Bruce and I wrote an article about who the. Uh, I mean, essentially, he mentioned Swift in here uh, yeah. as well, Larry, as who they could be. Basically, says it leaves a nation state. Mm-hmm. North Korea is suspected of being behind WannaCry. Um, but who, did, I, who did he did he specify nation state on Swift? On Swift, did he specify which nation state, or do you just say nation state? Uh, the Swift documents are records of an NSA operation, and the other posted files demonstrate that NSA is hoarding vulnerabilities for an for attack rather than helping them fix and improve all of our security. Interesting. That's very interesting. Uh huh. Prove it. Yeah, is, yeah, and that's the whole thing is proof in this whole, the whole thing. Anyway, um, the uh, ICS SCADA systems uh, pen- for penetration testers, a typical engagement. I thought this was interesting because it reads more like an audit than a hands-on <laughs> penetration test. Well. Uh, and there's good reason for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad you said there's a good reason for that. So. Well, so early on in my pen testing days, I was approached by a company yeah. that said, we've got this, it was like, you know, a company through another company. And they were like, we've got this company, it's a power plant, and um, good mutual friends of ours thought I was crazy for saying no, but I was like, no, I'm not doing mm-hmm. this. They're like, we want you to pen test a power plant. And I'm like, so nope. there's no like dev environment or anything. They're like, no, this it's like a this is a live shit. A, basically, a Linux system connected to like live stuff, and we want you to pen test it. And I was like, nope. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, I'm not. I knew that one, the potential for bad things was mm-hmm. really bad. That I could be responsible for a mass scale power outage. I knew that I didn't have the legal backing to be in that uh-huh. particular situation, given the way the deal was structured. That I would likely be the scapegoat. And nor did I have knowledge at that time on how to test a power plant without causing bad things to happen. That said, I know you and I have tested a power plant. Yes. But it was the business portion. Correct. It wasn't connected. Not interacting with right. the SCADA quote portion. No, this, they were very clear right. that this was connected to a live power plant. And I was like, nope. Uh, I've, uh, I've tested stuff that's uh, actually connected to live controlling uh, entities. Same here. And um, without naming any names, um, the reports that it's an abysmal situation are absolutely true. Um, These are very much unpatched uh, early systems that are locked in. And we've said this before on the show. They're locked into certain releases because of what the, the vendors have laid down on them or whatever reasons. And... The situation is frighteningly scary. There's no other way. Well, to yeah, and uh, don't forget this. This test I was approached on was probably it was over ten years ago. Yeah. So the, I think the level of 
both the sensitivity of the systems, and, which might remain the same in, in the past 10 plus I was going to say, but, nothing's probably changed. But the tools, no, that, the tools that we have today, I think, yep. are much better, and the tuning of those tools is much better than they were over 10 years ago. Because I knew, walking into an enterprise network or even a smaller network, if I were to run Nmap, for example, I, could I would shit crash over. shit all day long. Yep. Now, you still do run into that. I think yep. it's less frequent. And Larry, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, it's less frequent. Less right? frequent, yep. yeah. Especially, yeah, oh, that we've, yeah we've, we've gained some intelligence. Right. So, and now, no, Paul, not to take away from, I know where you're going with this, I think. But, uh, Joff, tell me if you can. When you, you've talked about pen testing those systems, you know, you talked about this abysmal state of what the 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 generator or wherever was handed and that they're locked into this but tell me about the state of some of their compensating controls around some of that type of stuff yeah so so very good point um the compensating control the number one named compensating control in the example i can think of is that the uh the network was air gapped um uh-huh yeah so subsequently during my test uh on site in this one example uh, it was uh, determined that the air gap was uh, one employee unplugging an Ethernet cable um, after hours so that the wireless network could not talk to the skater network. <laughs> that was the air gap. Because yeah. air gap so, is never so, air gap. So in other words, the compensating controls were nil. Yeah, the compensating controls were nil, and we're talking about Windows XP uh, as industrial controllers uh, pre SP one. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Cause we have a story about XP and I don't necessarily yeah. agree with this headline. It says it's too unstable to spread WannaCry. Uh, now, when you dig into it, uh, now it, you, you laugh, okay. and I laugh at the headline. But when I, I might disagree, but all right. dig into it. It was really when you read it, um, as it was reported originally by not the register, or some other news site, is what's quoted in here. It basically says that it wasn't the exploit that was crashing it. Uh-huh. It was the payload, <laughs> double pulsar, that was crashing it. Oh, God. And while that's, that's funny awesome. in and of itself, you can probably tune the payload so that it does not crash Windows XP. However, the exploit could potentially may remain mm-hmm. pretty... pretty. St- I can see that happening. I'm not saying that's exactly the case. I mean, that... I would have to test it myself to, to, to verify that. If anyone has, please write into yeah. the show. Now, that's, now that said, the... Exploit and payload are two different things, oh, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. right? No. So Metasploit taught us that. Well, yeah. yeah and and, and my, my argument would be, what would be the motivation in tuning the payload to actually affect Windows XP given oh, the market well, share? Oh, yeah. Well, now, no, now, but, well, now, given the market share, you have to think about this carefully. Where is XP being used and what is the value... Of those systems, targets. those are great targets because if right, they're yeah. running XP, they're Point probably sale, they're probably in something that's very valuable. Uh, industrial just, control just, systems, SCADA, yeah. Industrial control systems, yeah. Versus, what's the market share? Do you really want to spend the time to do that? And the, some of the previous comments that we've had about WannaCry is that that it appears that WannaCry was less about the financial motivation than it was about some other stuff. Making a splash, yeah, making a splash. Yeah. So. Well, and as previous guests have said in the show too, uh, larger organizations, enterprises, and governments pay Microsoft extra money to get yep. fixes. Yep. So, so there's a you know there's a there's a there's a back yeah. and forth about whether or not you, that's worth it to them to make that happen. 
So, but still really interesting. It said Windows XP with Service Pack 2, there was no infection. Service Pack 3, random blue screen to death. Um, Windows 7, infected after multiple attempts. In Windows 2008, Service Pack 1 could not replicate infection, but reported exploited. That was so why didn't we why didn't we bring this up when we were talking about you know the problems of small businesses because you know small businesses are still using XP in various places and obviously Very large good. industrial control systems are still relying on XP why are we still talking about XP why why are they still using XP anyone because yeah. they don't have a technology guy to come in and upgrade with, with them. a lot of yeah, with a lot of small businesses, they, they upgrade operating systems when they replace their computer. So, you know, my laptop is finally six years old and the hinges are broken and we go and buy a new one. So that that's kind of when they upgrade and they have these older OSs. It's just how they how they run. That. We might be talking decade for some places. Uh, and in the case of the industrial control systems, um, sometimes they cannot get out of it. They've got software uh, with a uh, manufacturer uh, and I say manufacturer deliberately, a manufacturer that has got a mindset that they would built this software for 20 years. Uh, so, you know, the, the the dependencies, they cannot get away from. I mean, it's like this well, is built to run on this kernel. And you're, you're bringing up something that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks, which I think is a, a, it's a philosophical issue. It's a generational issue. But, you know, my parents grew up in the depression and you know, for the most part, when you invested in something, you know, think IOT devices these days, when you bought a dishwasher, when you bought a refrigerator, mm-hmm. you wanted to buy something that was going to last for 20 years. Yeah. That's a good point. Jeff. You're scraping you're, you know, there's, so there's this cultural mindset that I think is partially generational, but you know, to some degree, I'm still leaning towards that end of the spectrum. But, you know, when I buy something, I want it to last for a long time. I yep. don't want to have to update it every year. Yep. That, so that, I think one of, that was one like of the my, most... That was like my grandfather when he... My my grandfather, you know, long since passed. When he bought his truck, he wanted that thing to last forever. I mean, he literally drove that uh, for my entire life that like, I knew my, my grandfather. My grandfather would drive every car into the ground. He like, drove, literally, he, he falling drove, apart, he driving drove, in to trade it in, and, right? And, like, it would rust over the wheel wells. So what did he would do? He would go out and cut that section with the saws all out, and he would pop rivet a new piece of uh, either aluminum or steel over that thing, like, and then paint it the... Like right. explains a lot about your personality yeah, today, Larry. But yeah, where you does. came from, it does so much. So much. How old is the underwear you're wearing? I mean, think about it. I haven't worn any underwear in almost twenty assuming, years. Assuming you wear, <laughs> wow, that is way, <laughs> way too much information. Because you know what? Why do I spend money on underwear? It's just gonna fall apart. <laughs> you realize that it's we're some, we're oftentimes not the reincarnation of our parents, but our grandparents. Sometimes, oftentimes, sometimes, right? sometimes. But my my point is though somewhere along the line the the whole advancement in technology is uh, you know we we you know technology vendors not just security vendors have 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 tried to create this sensation of we've got to update we got to get something new I mean I think it's I think it started with mobile devices and phones but you know nowadays people are conditioned to oh you know my my phone's a year old I got to get a new one. Um, not so much with laptops, but you know we we can wish for new laptops or or tablets or whatever. But uh, I, you're saying it's our fault. 
I think it's something we don't talk about or acknowledge uh, enough that, you know, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with the mindset of buying something that lasts for 20 years. I, but there's also the pain point of rip and replace, right? Yeah. It, well, there's two aspects of it. of it, right? There's a pain point of rip and replace. And I think when you want to buy something that, that lasts, you want to minimize the cost that it is to rip and, and replace and only have to do that when you absolutely need to. But there's also, we need to not think about like when we buy something, how long it's going to last. Today, when we buy something, we have to think about, okay, if it's going to last me this long, how long am I going to get updates for it? And how painful is it going to be to apply those updates? Can I apply updates for that time? Because so much of what we have today is software-based or firmware-based and can be updated. When we bought a, a, a dishwasher or any home appliance 20 or 30 yeah. years ago, none of that well, to stuff go back was to what updated. Don was saying, you're, you're, you're describing an awareness that's yes. not out there. Correct. You're correct. Where you go out and apply training, like knowing how to apply a patch or knowing how to turn on the update feature. Well, no, it, goes, it goes even further than that, though. There's a culture collision. I mean, you look at the, the skater situation and in the days where you hooked these control systems up with serial cables, you know, RS-232 or, or whatever, um, the the ramifications of doing that were not nearly as serious as the ramifications of plugging an Ethernet cable mm-hmm. in it. And, and, right, and, and people... Or a wireless network now. Right. And right. so that, that culture, the, the industrial control system control culture, does not know... They just flat do not know the ramifications of doing what they're doing. Um, maybe with the exception of a, a, a subset, just a few. And, uh, uh, you know, apologies to anybody who's like yelling at me right now. But um, that is the real core of the issue, right? Um, you know, air gapping um, is not necessarily a bad thing, but they just don't realize the, the ramifications of, oh, we'll just plug it into our wireless network in the example that I, I talked about. I think part of the problem is, and it ties into one of our other stories here and mm. personal experience that I have with a product, is that when you purchase a product, it's impossible to know how resilient that product is going to be over a period of time. Yep. You, you really don't right. know. I mean, you may know how long you're going to use it for, but if it's something that you know you're going to need for a long time, years, right? You don't know how resilient that product's going to be over time. So I purchased several years ago, maybe, I don't know, a long time ago, a ReadyNize NV Plus, mm-hmm. right? And I've talked about this device on the show before. Yeah. And it's a network-connected storage. It's a NAS device from Netgear. And when we were talking last week about the SMB vulnerability, the Samba vulnerability, rather, I was like, it's a Spark processor, I'm like, good luck developing a payload for it. I mean, you could, sure. Sure. Like, you're... Again, we uh, go back to that Windows XP. Why would you develop... Why would you develop an exploit for it? Yeah. And lo and behold, to my amazement, Netgear actually has an update for it that Mm -hmm. patches the vulnerability. On Spark, particularly that device with that firmware, on Spark architecture. Wow. Now, I didn't know that... I don't know, eight or nine years later after I bought the device that I'd have to worry about applying patches and whether patches were going to be available uh-huh. or not. Like, it sits on my network and it serves files. Like, that's its purpose. It still does that to this day, whether it's vulnerable or not. Yep. And there's been all kinds of different vulnerabilities. It's been Nessus scanned, you know, eight, 
thousand times, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, over its or lifetime, more. and identified vulnerabilities. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's a vulnerability, but it's Spark, so good luck getting a payload. Um, and I've applied updates to it until the core updates start, but here's a major security vulnerability. Now, the crossroads that I'm at, which makes this conversation very interesting, the crossroads I'm at now is this device is working in uh-huh. my network today. It's old. Yep. I feel like it's somewhat fragile, but it's working. Yep. Do I take now new software and apply it to this device, which could potentially break it, which then this device is long, that hasn't been supported in a long time. Like, what do I do? Do I potentially put buy a new one, a patch, <laughs> right? Or do I buy a new one, right? And why would I buy a new one when the existing one, it, it runs fine? Like, what would your grandpa say? Wait, and yeah. I want to throw this to Don to just like, what would the small business do, Don? Yeah, because this is a small business product. So I yeah. think Larry's going to yeah, a yeah, very so, valid question. You know, we're yeah. tech guys, and our tech problems are small business problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and we're not touching on one important thing. You're lucky, Paul, that the vendor is still in business. Right, yes. 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 Correct. Yes. You're correct, right. Jeff. You're correct. Right. Shut up and let Don talk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think it, in, an, in an enterprise, you can be proactive, right? You have yes. budgets. You have plans. You when, you when you select hardware to purchase, you have a, a, a development or deployment life cycle. Yep. You, you have that going on. In a small business, you're not proactive. You're, you're reactive, right? You're putting out fires. So... They buy that storage appliance and they run it until it's dead. That, yep. That's how it is. And firmware <laughs> and store, updates, storage appliances. It's, it's like you know, my first it, car. As it turns out, those storage appliances are really resilient. Don, to your point, like when the thing flashes that it's got a bad drive, I go buy one on Amazon for like fifty bucks and I swap a new one in and it runs. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's true. But I know, like, I have one personally that uh, uh, you, you can tell the company threw together the the easiest version of linux they could to get on there and and all its logs are in chinese so you can't troubleshoot the damn thing wonderful and and, you know for home who cares right but for enterprise for a business that that's not something that would ever fly but for a small business they're typically taking consumer technology so they get a best buy and deploying that in their business and and Cell phones are a big problem with this, too, because even enterprises, you get screwed there. Like, if a cell phone is not a successfully sold one, it's not going to be supported for any long window of time. But even Google with their pixels, didn't they say they were going to cut that one at just a hair after two years? So that's the kind of window we're looking at with technology these days. But that's a good point, because I think Google knows that their market for Pixel are people like me that are uh, technology savvy and update their phones regularly anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I think Google has an interesting market position. Yeah, that uh, to your point, Don is is ve- it's it's a very good point because while Google markets their Pixel towards very technology savvy people, they know they can have a short life cycle because that audience, that target market, is going to upgrade their phones. In other words, when I know as a Pixel user that Google's dropping support, even if it's two years. I only keep. I, I never keep a phone for more than two years, a year at most, and I'm upgrading to the next thing. So, but when we look at the small business, the technology that's available to them, they're purchasing it not as a Google Pixel target market user. They're purchasing it as you said, a small business user that's like, hey, I'm going to get this device. I'm going to use it for as as long as I can to get the maximum value from my purchase. This, However, this laptop right here. The seller of that 
Chinese based the you know network attached storage appliances like well, we just want to crank out devices as cheaply as possible and if we come up with a new version that hey we're going to change the processor architecture you know less than a year after we brought this first one to market cuz we saved $3 per device we're going to do that and we're not going to support the previous one cuz it costs us too much money to support the previous one now those other users are screwed and that target audience is one that wants to use that device for a really long time i think that's largely why we're in the situation we are today with small businesses in these purchasing decisions so i think it's a, a fantastic point that everyone brought up sweet okay transition so, to another story i'm going to another story right. so paul i had a I, out of the, out of my four i put some really good ones in there out of right. those you do four, that i'm gonna I'd i'm love, gonna go to the bathroom i'd love to do I'll be three. right back so yes thanks you gotta, gotta pee gotta pee paul, paul paul is leaving the show yeah paul's gotta pee so the the first story i had in there was from one of our sponsors and it was one of those two requests that this was literally a story i was reading as we were on the show last week like the last 15 minutes of, this, of the show, I was reading the story as it was coming out, um, and it's the um, the Operation Cobalt Kitty, mm. um, okay. the large-scale APT in Asia carried out by the Ocean Lotus Group, and it was very interesting stuff. So this was, uh, in fact, an analysis of uh, the, uh, the Cobalt Kitty operation by Cyber Reason, who, in full disclosure, is a sponsor. I've asked put the request and I've seen the request go out to cyber reason to uh, talk to the, the folks that actually were involved in um, this, uh, this analysis of the ocean Lotus group uh, operation cobalt kitty. And quite honestly, for me as a red teamer, it's absolutely fantastic in that. Hey, hey, hey um, Larry, yes. just a quick question. Yeah. Um, the cobalt reference. Oh yeah. Uh, is that, is that a oh, reference yeah. to cobalt strike? Yes, it is. I would, I would, well, I would argue that it is, given that some of the command and control that was used in this specific specific attack was Cobalt Strike. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that was my question when I was reading this. We were talking about this, and uh, I said, "Well, doesn't Raphael Mudge vet who he sells Cobalt Strike to?" And because exactly. based on based on my interaction with him, it was, "Hey, who do you work for? You know, all the stuff. Oh, yeah, great. I know you guys. You're good. Everything's good." But uh, there are so many operations where potentially somebody else could have been compromised and licensed keys could have been acquired. Um, right. you, you, you talk about some of the stuff. Cobalt Strike was involved. Um, the analysis of some of the traffic that were there um, for some Cobalt Strike beacon stuff was interesting. Uh, the fact that... Um, uh, where was it? Um, uh, Cobalt Kitty operators... From, um, shit, the name is escaping. Did you say Cobalt Kitty? Yeah, I did. I did Cobalt Kitty. So these are did, people that acquire Cobalt Strike and use it for did, Yeah, uh, amongst others. And these are, this is, this is the analysis from Cyber Reason folks that I want them to come on and talk about. Oh, okay. You, you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, They're a sponsor, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so some of the stuff is that the folks that were using Cobalt Strike didn't understand how some of the functionality actually worked, which helped me Hence the... Moniker script kitty. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. So uh, I thought this was a, a fantastic analysis, and I, I don't want to blow the blow the wad, so to speak, for the cyber reason folks, assuming we can get them on. Because oh, yeah, we can. This was uh, absolutely amazing, some of the stuff that they did, and I have questions for them about what they did and how they did it. Um, you know, 
coming from the defender side because you know I'm very much we, we very much do red team and this is some of the stuff they did and you know, want to talk to them about this whole analysis. So this was this was some awesome stuff. Uh, absolutely. Uh, hey, hey, Paul. Uh, mm. You think you get them on uh, somewhere in the next couple of weeks? We have the we have the request in. Yeah, I know. I saw it from Sam. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Today. Great, great bunch of I folks mean, at, at Cyber Reason. Be- yeah, no, that's yeah. Uh, Israel that would, that Barak, who's been on the show yes. uh, multiple times on well, on Paul Security Weekly and on other shows. Uh, it works at Cyber Reason. So, um, so another another quick one, Paul. I know you're uh, you're you were uh, just coming back from taking a dump. I had to go no. pee. Um, uh, I have uh, like the world's <laughs> smallest bladder. I've got two self-serving posts here. Uh, one of them from In Guardians. Uh, we just redid our entire website, but uh, one of the first things... Nginx and WordPress? No, the WordPress and Apache. There you because. go. Uh, but JB Emacs, but JB has got this awesome post that I got to help tech edit and stuff mm-hmm. uh, as it went out, and it's part one of some stuff that he's been doing, which is awesome. Um, and it was very much WordPress. So we talked about WordPress earlier in the show. Um, so one of the things that Jay has been doing is he's been pulling down a bunch of these sort of offline CTF type stuff. And uh, one of the ones he pulled down was a CTF that is uh, Mr. Robot themed. Uh, this one it deals with WordPress. And he started going through it. And he's like, I broke this. And I can think of some ways to defend against it. So he's literally taking these CTFs. And he's taking the instruction about how to break the CTF, how to win the CTF, or how to go through the CTF. And then on the converse is, well, you just broke this. This is how you broke this. These are the methods you'd use. How would I defend against that? That's awesome. And That's building awesome. building profiles on yeah. these CTF images to defend against it. And this particular one is uh, uh, password spraying and password brute forcing against WordPress. Mm-hmm. And he builds an OSSEC profile to uh, do uh, IP tables rules after uh, failed login attempts for the WordPress yeah. admin. Well, it's a very defendable problem with WordPress. Right. Uh, uh, right. But, logins, but, and, yeah. and this is not necessarily using a WordPress plugin. It's offloading it from WordPress. This yeah. is using OS. I like that because you take a performance hit when you, you do some of that stuff in Absolutely. WordPress. So. Absolutely. And this is eventually using IP tables rules to do denies. I like that. Yeah. I like that because yeah. that... that is a much better usage of system resources doing it in yes. IP tables than WordPress. Uh, it's just lower in the stack. Yes. I like it. I absolutely, like it. absolutely. Any, uh, any, and this is part one of a multi-part series, so there, there's some more of that. fantastic, dude. Yep. Um, I, one of the reasons, just one of the many reasons why I love Jay uh, is uh, for his deep knowledge of, of Linux and Linux hardening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and along those lines, there was a very interesting, and I didn't, I haven't processed all of the Exact details. Have you guys seen the pseudo vulnerability? <laughs> so I read this and I immediately discussed the dismissed that this is. If you've got pseudo access, you've got root access. What's the big deal? <laughs> like, well, like that, this that, is a fake I, news I, story. I, I, yeah, and, you know, Larry, that's what it was designed for, right? Yeah, exactly. Sudo is. It, it, well, no, I mean, so, so, well, so, well, the larger, sudo, go ahead, you, can, you can actually limit people to yeah. a particular set of commands, right? Exactly. That's, that's, that's what makes this risky is, yeah. is in those scenarios. If so. they're aware that you can configure it like that. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. And you're right, Jeff, uh, and Don both, um, 
So the, please enlighten in, me. Well, the intended usage uh, of, of pseudo that I think is a much better from a security perspective is I want to, like Don said, limit it to users that can execute specific commands. Uh, largely, as Jeff pointed out, people use it to basically delineate between uh, root user and non-root user. Or, or yeah. well, there's the actual well, root right. user. It's a, way to, it's a way to do things that you have to do as root without logging on to the correct. root account, correct. which you shouldn't do on a daily basis. Right, and, which does and, offer and, some protection. And, and, and with varying level of access control. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. So this uh, a and su- logging. Yeah, the vulnerability is a, a user with pseudo privileges can cause pseudo to use a device number of the user's choosing by creating a symbolic link from the pseudo binary to a name that contains a space followed by a number. Ooh, I'm still digging into the details exactly how that works. It's pretty like cool. A number like zero. There are uh, patches available uh, for it. Red Hacks, uh, Red Hat, and Debian SUSE, uh, as well as others, have issued uh, patches for it. So. Uh, my recommendation would be to apply those patches. Not use pseudo. No, uh, oh, apply the patches. No, apply those patches. <laughs> apply those patches, of course. Well, and I, I think this was not like super critical because of the way most people use sudo. If you're using it just to give root access to somebody, then this is kind of really a, yeah. not a big deal. Right. But if you are using it in that use case scenario of I've given somebody access so that they can sudo a particular command, this would give them a chance to go beyond that command. That That's where it's really critical this gets updated. Yeah, I had a customer one time that was using sudo to su. Yeah. You can do it. <laughs> you can. It, it took me a long time to explain it to him why that was kind of not a you bad, know what You know what's interesting, though, thing. is that uh, a lot of times sudo space su space minus is a better command then yeah. because it yeah. sets up the environment properly yes. and you tend to run into less oh, issues. Yes. Setting the environment properly is, uh. is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big um, deal. Yeah, I want to talk about one login, and and after that, I do have one other story I would love to cover because you'll Perfect. you'll like this. You'll like. This. I want to make surprise. sure we hit. I want to hit one login. Yep. I want to hit OAuth, and I want to hit Larry's story. Yeah, one login. This is a yes, and I want to hit Chipotle too. So we have four stories to talk about before we we end. Uh, Jeff, that was your story that I want to, I want to get to as well. One login. This is a really bad breach. Um, uh, I, I'm, I don't have all the details as to how and all that stuff. Um, I do know that I am a LastPass user. I'm a former 1Password user. I've been skeptical of these uh, password managers, skeptical of single sign-on applications for really this reason as one login sent an email to their customers that basically said bad things have happened. And here's what we need you to do. Generate new certificates for your apps that use SAML, SSO. Generate new keys for legacy API and OAuth. Uh, generate new directory tokens, generate new SSO tokens and credentials. Uh, if you replicate your directory password to provision applications, force a password reset, recycle any secrets and secure notes, credentials for users provisioning into third-party applications, uh, form-based login credentials, and radius shared secret. Basically, like redo everything in your one login because there was a massive data breach is could be the... It could be the I don't know. I, it depends on the audience of and the users of one login. Very well could be like a company changing, company ending vulnerability when you are the company providing single sign in type services like that, and you have this massive breach. You've completely depleted the trust with your user base and put yourself in a sticky situation. Very different, I think, from the uh, last pass vulnerabilities. 
They were very responsive. They were not nearly as devastating uh, as this vulnerability. Uh, glad that I used LastPass. I also put two-factor authentication on, on LastPass. In this case with one login, I'm not sure yep. if that mattered or not. <clears throat> yep. And again, two-factor authentication isn't like Magic Pixie. Remember the Magic Pixie Dust? I do. Yeah. It's not Magic Pixie Dust for security. Uh, it does help, though. Uh, so this is really That's bad. Right. Has it's anyone that. else looked into this one login thing? Like, it seems really bad to me. Um, you know, the, the only thing I've got is the, the stories that were published, which is which is along the lines of what you just said, Paul. You know, we, we've had a, a breach. It's U.S.-centric. Um, the, the, there's nothing else that, that I could see that had any more details. Uh, but the, the, net, the net result is, for everybody out there, change everything. Change master passwords. Change all your passwords on every stored site. I mean, make sure that you update everything because right. – this is this is serious. Yeah, and, and, and one, that, one login isn't like la- one login is more single sign-on competing with Okta than it is uh, a password vault. Don, I did find it interesting. They mentioned like the secure notes feature, where like maybe you've stored your maybe you've turned on multiple factor authentication and you have those recovery keys, so you stored them in a secure note that was secured by single sign or by uh, one right. login. That you have to consider those compromised now. So in your recovery keys, and and in the case of, of 2FA or MFA, you're going to have to turn that off and turn it back on again to generate all new keys, and that causes a lot of problems in systems. Oh yeah, uh, you know, just all throughout. So yep, that, that's a big deal. Absolutely, yep. Larry. What do you got for your your story? Oh, so the other one was you, this one. You will actually find interesting uh, because of the the way it went down. Um, the other one that I've got in there is decoding decked. Uh, digital enhanced Cardo's telephone uh, with an RTL SDR. This popped up in my feed, and I missed it for a couple of days. This is uh, decked as uh, baby monitors. Uh, baby monitors and a lot of uh, headsets and, and Cardo's phones. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I challenge We've you. We've talked about this on yep. the show. Oh, yeah. Like way back in the day. Well, so here's the deal. So <laughs> the deal is is that uh, in order to uh, deal with DECT and whether or not the calls are encrypted, you actually have to capture traffic and decode it and see if you can listen to it. And we did this with some demos with your baby monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do this in uh, the SAN 617 course all the time. Right. But it requir- and there's no FCC regulations that dictate the being able to capture this traffic? Nope. No, okay. it's it's specific. It's an open is, is it an open open it, spectrum? It is uh it is in uh, uh ISM bands that don't require license and so okay. forth. Okay. But it's in weird stuff. It's not two point four and five it's and weird. It, yeah. Yeah. So it's um and I don't remember I think it's one point eight to one point nine two depending on where you are on the planet. Um and which is ISM it's somewhere between nine hundred megahertz no, and two point four, it, right? It's one it's one point eight to one point nine two depending on where you're like I said, between nine hundred megahertz yeah, right. and, and two point four. Right. right, okay. Uh, but it requires some very specialty hardware to analyze. Yep. And that hardware has become harder and harder to acquire, and we've talked about software-defined radio. Mm-hmm. And now this post says, hey, if you have an RTL-SDR, that $20 to $30 software-defined radio, you can potentially capture decked traffic. Mm. And you can capture decked traffic and dump it to PCAP. Now the, big, the, the, the these now, are uh, yeah. so these are monitors, Larry. That like if I have a baby monitor on at yep. home, they're essentially like listening devices always in my home. They're, they're always, always on. on they're right? always on. Yeah, okay. Now, baby monitor, whatever, home headset, Cor- decked cordless telephone. Yes, you go to buy a cordless telephone. Go to Staples. 
try to buy a cordless telephone, tell me what type of technologies are available on the shelf. There are two. There are Bluetooth and there are decked. And there's one Bluetooth and everything else is decked. You one, go, you wait, go, wait. There's one manufacturer that's producing a Bluetooth? No, no. They're just across oh, the board. Oh, like across when you walk the in the store. Yeah, the, the two technologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, you go to a call center and you say, all your call center folks want a headset because talking on the phone, like, crimping in the ear. And they sucks. wouldn't use a wired headset because... No, they, well, I don't know. They want Everybody wants to wireless up because it's cool. So what do you do? You go to the local like W. Mason catalog or whatever your mm-hmm. vendor is, and mm-hmm. the, what are the two types of headsets you've got? Bluetooth and DACT. Bluetooth and DACT. And which one's fucking cheaper? DACT. DACT. Bingo. Yep. Wow. So now the, there was a barrier to entry to capturing DACT traffic. Your call center talks about lots of fun stuff. Now this gentleman has said, hey... We can capture deck with a twenty to thirty dollars software defined rating. There was a story so, that so we covered, Larry. No, but, but hold no, on, no, hold no, on, no, 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 wait, no, wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm you remember your, the I'm, story? I'm, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow your mind. So they say you can capture deck traffic with a software defined radio that costs you to between twenty and thirty dollars. It dumps it to PCAP. They say, "Well, great, we want the audio." Well, they said you can dump the audio by taking the B channel and dumping it to a file and then playing it back with this audio codec. Well, how did we find that out? Well, we went to this Reddit thread that said, hey, we went to Security Weekly episode 158 and they've got instructions on how to do so. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. That's beautiful. Boom! I was going to say, hold on, Jeff. Back in that time, (laughs) we covered a story and I want to say it was from Pentest Monkey blog. You remember that guy? I do. And um, they told the story, and I believe it was 900 megahertz frequency that they were listening to. They picked up on because the headsets of the call center and various employees were all 900 megahertz. They sat in the parking lot for... With a scanner. With a scanner. scanner. Basically for X number of days listening to their uh, traffic. Gleaned enough information from that traffic to essentially create an employee. So they then... Like the next week, created an employee, business cards, the whole, and yep. had an, an armed that employee with enough information yep. about the company. That employee, that person from the Pentest company walked in. I'm a new employee. They set that person up with a desk. That person worked there for, I want to say, about a week. Um, attended birthday parties for employees yeah. <laughs> in they that organization. Yep. Sat at a desk, plugged into the network, essentially yep. worked there for an entire week. And that was. To me, one of the most compelling stories yes. we've covered I, on, on I, this issue. I, I will say, I tech-edited a book for Singress. It yeah. was on exactly those it's, subjects it's, about uh, doing Wireshark? Nope, not no. Wireshark. Okay. And, uh, I'll, it's crazy. I can't remember the name of the book. But I tech-edited a book from... Um, he was one of the guys at Secure State that has since moved on. Epic hipster beard Dave? mustache. No. no. Uh yeah okay. Boy yeah. Bullock. Boy Bullock. No, it wasn't. Bo, it wasn't Bo. <laughs> Bo didn't work for Secure State, and uh, I'm I'm totally embarrassed that I can't remember the name. But I tech edited a book that was literally this was basically using RF for pen testing. And yeah, it was very much these types of things that were RF outside of wireless. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and outside of Zig, uh, the the standard protocols that you'd think about, like how do you deal with like the security radios at 900 megahertz and all this crap. It's great. It's great. It bri- people it don't pay, I mean, talk about things that enterprises don't pay attention to. Yeah. Yep. Certainly you one of them. I, I, I feel like we should do a demo. I mean, I mean, I've got a, I think I've got a deck 
uh, cordless phone in the house. Joff, I mean, Joff, it's coming. And it may be coming to a Sands course near you. There you go. Oh, baby. No, that should totally be no, a Sands course. Seriously, we should do a live demo where I pick up a decked handset, make the call, and we should freaking show the packets and make it happen. We will. Yeah. Count Just on for it. you, Jeff. Count on it. Episode one. We should produce an entire podcast of that we did over a decked frequency that we captured the traffic and then replayed oh, it, God. and the sound quality would be awesome. You're yeah. such a so, nerd. So, so literally... <laughs> Riley is like literally cringing in yeah. his seat So right the, R- the RTLSDR.com blog, you know, an RTLSD yeah. deck decoder update. Over the Reddit thread from the original poster, in theory, you only need to dump the B-field data into a file and then play with the G726 decodec. See documentation from previous dedected projects. Wait, does that link work? Please tell me that link doesn't work. That link fucking works. Okay, good. Yes, Ep- winning, awesome. winning, from winning. Se- Wikisecurityweekly.com, episode 158, in which we talk about sniffing deck for fun and penetration testing with Larry Pesci. Oh, thank in God that we, link works. We, that means I've done my job. <laughs> which we talk about installing the deck CLI stuff, and then the final caveat is a script for converting PCAP and dumping B-Field into a file which we can play with a codec. That's awesome. I'm just... I'm so glad the link <laughs> works. Like, boom! I'm like... Ah! <laughs> the, the, like, this is, is my, this is my crowning moment. Like, <clears throat> I took awesome. shit that somebody else did and put it with somebody's shit that somebody else did and I tied it together. <laughs> and documented it and other people are winning from it. That's yes. awesome. Um, I want to talk about not winning with, with OAuth. Uh, and I, I haven't checked out the entire uh, talk. There are slides posted about OAuth nightmares. And yes. I, I want to use this as basically a talking point that I, I really, I hate, I hate OAuth. OAuth is kind of like, it's kind of like the, I love you know what it, it is? It's the friggin' sudo for web applications <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is when you think about it, and it frightens me to death. I the the guys are like, well, we need to authorize like our internal application to like Twitter and and Facebook, and it's all in Google, and it's all friggin' OAuth. And not only is the configuration a nightmare, after I configure it, like I feel dirty being a security professional and configuring like trust relationships with OAuth. Yes. I feel dirty. I'm like. This is bad. Something bad's gonna like. I just it's bad. My gut reaction is bad. Bad, bad, bad. That's my that's my take on OAuth. It's bad. And a lot. And quite no, frankly, it's good, but it's bad. But quite frankly, a lot of the abuses that we've talked about with social networks. In fact, there was a story uh, last week or the week before that people were tweeting as someone else's Twitter account. That was totally an OAuth abuse. And we've covered stories like that in the past where essentially people have lost control of their site. And again, this also speaks to how two-factor authentication doesn't fucking help you in this situation because it's not about your password. It's about basically you've given someone permission with this magical token that says you can do shit with my account and people just take that over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm very... OAuth does give me nightmares. It really does. I think the real challenge there is it's just it's it's complex, right? And if it's done improperly, you are really opening yourself up to a big risk. But if it's done properly, it's it's really powerful. It's a it's a Agreed. great secure solution. Agreed. This no, again, I agree, this, this again comes back to the whole we've developed a secure solution. It's all about how you implement it. Mm. Yes. Yep. 
Yeah. The great. I mean, because you can very easily lose your. Like, how do you protect those client secrets right. and OAuth IDs, right? Because right. like, when I you, you put those in a world readable directory, then well, you're fucked. Yeah, it, and, and and then exactly. you, and then you put them on an SVN repository and you stick them up on your production web server, and that's a perfect place. But, for- you know, Joff, that's a fantastic <laughs> point. I think there's an entire tech segment, or maybe five, that talks about how you. Don't fuck back up your code or your configuration <laughs> oh files God, yes. without exposing that level of information. Because there are a lot of, just in the small subset of systems that we have today, I like I do like local system file versioning. And I'm like, I really need to get like a Git re- or SVN repository and, mm-hmm. and like store this stuff somewhere. But I'm like, if I'm automatically backing up my config files and doing versioning on them, if that ever becomes public, it's essentially like handing over the keys to the kingdom because yep. inside these config files, there could be passwords, there could be basically all of tokens, and, and yep. there's the, the token ID, and, but then there's the, the secret passphrase yep. that gives that application access. Uh, it's almost mm-hmm. like in a Windows environment, you have system-level accounts. Had, yeah. um, look, Paul, I've had pen tests where I have had an SVN repository that has been uploaded to a server. It has been, they thought anyway, sanitized by removing the files from the repository, but you can reconstruct the original source from the hashes, okay? And there's documentation on there. It's actually, I think, a Security Weekly post where there's documentation on this. Yep. And um, I've actually retrieved an Amazon API key, which I have then used directly against the uh, entity um, that I was testing to, you know, um, access their entire file system. Yep. Right? Yeah, see, you know, Joff, uh, so. same thing. I developed because I wanted to, you know, you know show down with Ed. You know, Ed's got his, uh, you know, Morse code tweeting bot at home that uh, I wanted yep. to do the same, but I wanted to do them one up, and I wanted to display the, the user's um, uh, avatar in a LED panel when it was t- doing the Morse code of the tweet to me and so forth and so on. And the code that I had required a Twitter uh, OAuth token. Yeah. And when I published the code, I published it as, you know, insert your own token here. So uh, <laughs> I didn't fuck that up, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. No, you'd be surprised. Developers actually inadvertently include mm-hmm. their tokens actually in oh, yeah. the freaking source. In the code. Yeah. Job, like, I ran into a situation last week where I went into the configuration file for the application. I updated the OAuth tokens and secrets, and then it wasn't working. And I'm like, knowing this, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I bet you it's hard-coded in the code. I dug through the code, and I'm like, oh, look, sure they're not... Yep. Even reading the configuration file, they've just included it in the code. And, like, I had this, like, you know, hand to forehead moment. I'm like, Face oh. Palm. Face palm. I'm like, yeah. it's so bad because then this code, I mean, configuration files in your build scripts and stuff, right? You're going to know that there's stuff in there that you want to take out. And not just for security, but because development QA and production might have a different. Uh, set of credentials for OAuth. In other words, in development, I'm doing OAuth to a different account, and in production, I'm doing OAuth to a different account. But your code, like that, that just goes, and that's it's very scary. OAuth is very scary. Yep. It's kind of like encryption, Jeff. You, you're 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 laughing, right? But it's kind of like encryption. 
like encryption's great, but it's all about the implementation. And I think that's yep. where the, the vulnerabilities are in, in OAuth is in the implementation. Yes, I can agree with that. All right. Was there something else we wanted to talk? Oh, Jeff, we need to talk about Chipotle yes. really quick. Yeah. Thanks for saving so much time for it. Sorry. Um, well, there have been a couple breaches announced recently, Chipotle and Kmart as well. And Kmart, it's like their second time in three years. It's still wait, point wait, of wait, sale wait. now. Kmart's Kmart? still in business? Yep. It's it's also in the notes. Yeah. Wow. It is. Um, point of sale malware. We probably should have talked about this when we were talking about XP. Um, <laughs> Don? Well, but <laughs> definitely the point Kmart. I want to make is one of the articles I posted was like a local radio, you know, TV station for, you know, that wanted to do a story on the Chipotle breach. And the title of the article was something about time to update, update to the chip cards. And oh, even looking at Krebs' uh, article on the Kmart, the very first comment is, wow, glad I use a chip card all the time. Um, people, the, the MagStripe data that's on a, a credit card is almost entirely the same data that's on the chip, and it's not encrypted on the chip. The authorization, the, 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 uh, the security code is what's different about the chip preventing, in theory, the card from being cloned and used to commit fraud. You can still capture all the same data, even with point-of-sale malware, and you can still use that data to commit fraud on, like, a website that's not asking for the security code. Uh And people don't seem to get that. I just wanted to hammer that home. Chip and signature is useless, because now if I uh, capture your card via Magstripe, I can change the magstripe to say, "Yeah, there's, there's no chip in this card. Y'all use the magstripe." Yep, and it's a and bit that, trickier, but yep. you can force that. Oh, no, it's not. It's not tricky at all. It's not. If you can swipe it, it's fairly easy documented to know which the value is to set one or zero to say this has chip enabled or not chip enabled. And now I just use the magstripe and and done. So ridiculous. Why didn't we go chip and pin? I mean, it's like ah. <laughs> Ah! Oh, where's Jack when you need him? <laughs> where's Jack? Well, w- one of the real issues is uh, that that things have been delayed, and not to point fingers at any vertical in the industry, but I was I was having a conversation earlier today with some other people. Uh, the fuel industry, you you notice if you go fill your fill your car with gas, you're not doing a chip yet. Because right. I don't think it's technically possible to replace the the card readers, the the point the point of interaction devices in a pump without replacing the whole pump. So that's a is huge that true? Is that really that's true? Is that really true? Fucking lies. I think it's true, but I'm not, because not no, that. no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jeff has a point though. If you think about when you go to the gas pump. There is only a magstripe reader inside. Yeah. Physically, there is every, only a magstripe reader. Put, there is no. Let's put it this way: every other store that I've been to <clears throat> has only had a magstripe reader, and now they have magstripe and pin because they can replace right. that. But Larry, they can replace that whole physical device. Yeah, but and, when and, it's and, inside of a gas pump, yeah, they're modular. Yeah, but you have to retrofit well, the module to have a chip reader and yeah, a stripe yeah, reader. Yeah, you, it's modular. You put it in and you leave it there, or you put it in and you swipe. I mean, it depends on the vendor. It depends on the vendor. Jeff, yeah. Jeff's partially correct. Some cases, he's absolutely right. You cannot replace 
the uh, the reader without replacing yeah, the pump. Yeah, because it's inside of another device. You, you, yeah. can, you do not have to replace the entire pump. You have to retrofit the existing pump. The module, but that's a lot mod- more in the modular portion. That, but that's a lot more expensive. But no, but that that <laughs> module. No, it is because you no, know, the pump the part p- is the expensive part. Yeah, but there's more pumps than there are registers. In right, the, but well, but depending. so you think about it, you pull up to the pump. No, there's a part not. that dispenses the gas, and there's all this crap, and then there's this small part that does the processing and talks to the. Do you think the they house. designed them though so they could fit a chip reader and a mag stripe? In oh, you got to replace the whole front panel part yeah. that does that, and there's 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 some challenges, but it is modular. I disagree, Larry, because the, we're talking about the point of introduction device. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, not talking th- about point of sale. The point of sale is usually in a controller that's mm-hmm. either in the kiosk or it's inside the, you know, if it's a convenience uh, I, store or whatever. I would, I and would, it's tied to the fuel delivery system. So right. it's, you know, it's software that's all right. combined together. I don't think it's as modular as I, you think it is. I, I would argue that the, the point of delivery device is very similar to the point of sale device in that you do literally do not have to rip the gas station apart to replace the entire pump with the handle and all this stuff. There is some portion that you have to replace, but you don't have to replace this entire thing that goes floor to ceiling. It's it's modular from this device that says dispense gas. Gas comes out of this hose. You don't have to replace the gas comes out of this hose part. You have to replace the here's the part where I interface with the the, the the station attendant and the the card versus replacing this whole ten thousand dollar device. You have to replace this two thousand dollar device. It's still a lot more work. That, than, it's still a lot more work, device, time, and money to re- fit in the pump, and it's going right. to talk right. to Agreed. the software that's running the ten thousand dollars. It's more expensive Absolutely. to do that than it is to replace something at the register. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay. You, you, the the option is you replace something at the register. Now everybody has to come inside. And that sucks. And yeah, that's not going to work and, for gas stations. No, today. no, no. A- and agreed. Um, you can. Choose and, I, and again, you, I'm not trying to pick on the fuel industry. Oh no, I'm no, no. That's not one example. And, I don't know. I will, but I will the, pick the on the fuel industry. Has got a has got a you know two or three more years before they have to implement and, chip. And, they're they're going to do it. And Jeff, but they, I, they've they've been but allowed. I, to, I, but I, totally I think they're agree. using that two or three years to move people towards an app. That's specific to that organization Ooh. and that company, or a card that's specific to the. So you can get like Cumberland Farms. You can get their app. Right. There, I don't know. Do their does their? I don't have their app because I, I hate installing per merchant apps on my phone <laughs> yeah. when I have there when it. there's like that's Apple Pay, Android Pay. Yep. Right, that's a whole other conversation, yep. right? But. They could conceivably say, "Well, we're just going to leave Magstripe readers and yeah. everyone uh, and, using, and, or and, we're going to have a, a, a wireless reader in yep. there." And I hate to th- and I hate to say this. Think about backwards compatibility. Someone like my mom, who just turned seventy four years old, smartphone, Happy birthday, mom. Yeah, smartphone literally like doesn't exist. Yeah, she has a she has a jitterbug that makes phone calls. <laughs> she can't go up to a pump and go bing. Right. Pay. She needs to have a card, or she needs to pay. Go inside and pay with a cash or check. Hey, if there was a gas station that accepted Android Pay, <laughs> you'd be all over that shit. Be, that's totally fine. Android Pay is already configured on my phone. I boop done. Yep. Of course, there was that whole thing about having your cell phone activated. <laughs> get it. Yeah, there's that. There's, there's, a, myth, myth, there's a myth, 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 myth episode. <laughs> 
All right. And it's more technology that they have to put in the pump. And with that, money. we're going to conclude this episode of Paul Security Weekly. Thank you, everyone, right. for participating. Thank you, from Don from IT Pro, for guest hosting as well, as well as all of our regular hosts. Larry, take us out. Oh, over and bourbon. <laughs> <laughs>